Welcome to episode 48 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on September 10th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway, editor at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how you living? Hello, Brad. I am uh, I'm pretty good, I guess. Uh, not really great, not really bad. Just, you know, I'm, I am A-OK. Well, mediocre is a good place to be. Uh, <laughs> we shall <laughs> find out all about what you've been doing when we get to the banter section. Um, but first, uh, before we get on with the, this actual episode tonight, I would like to thank our listeners for their patience and to apologize for our lateness with the last episode. That was mostly on me because I was screwing around at PAX and the whole thing got messed up for you know days at the convention and it just was really exhausted. So I, I take the blame for that one. Thank you, dear listeners, for your patience uh, because we do kind of pride ourselves on being a timely show. But with tonight's recording, we are back on track and it's feeling good. So, Corey, my friend, as regular listeners will know, we usually get the ball rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related. We're going to get to that in a second, but first, a reminder. For folks who don't want to hear about our random hijinks, rants, and recommendations, we will put timestamps, or, more correctly, you will put in timestamps for the show notes. Uh, And so people who don't want to hear our shit, you can jump ahead and skip it. But why would you want to? Corey, you are up first, sir. Feels like it's been a couple days since we've talked. What's the banter? What do you got this week? What's going on? Uh, I have my very normal, like, mediocre, like, oh, guess what? I photographed some dudes this week banter. But there is a twist on my I photographed dudes banter this week. And it is not a good twist, Brad. Would you like to know what happened to me yesterday? Not a good twist. Well, okay. So let me, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Okay. Okay. So you use the word twist. Does that mean uh, that you like you got hurt? And I did not. I mean, emotionally a little bit, but not physically. Oh shit! Emotionally. Well, I was gonna say, did you get arrested? No, thank goodness. Oh god. Okay. Well. Okay. There's a couple other op- options, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go ahead. Twist. I mean, I'm thinking like, God, what could happen? Like you photograph somebody, and it turned out to be a long lost cousin that you forgot you had and you guys reunited but then it turned out to be to not be your cousin and that was a twist like it was an instant heartbreak or like no anything like that uh no that was not it ah shit okay whatever i'm gonna stop stop <laughs> taking uh, stabs in the dark here please tell us of this twist Corey. that was i applaud your uh your creative efforts and trying to predict what it was though the, the long lost cousin thing was pretty good well thank you thank you but that <laughs> but it was wrong it was wrong so what is what is the true what is the true twist here Okay, the true twist is I um, I've tried I've been trying to make like a weekly effort to go out to the skate park because I like photographing at the skate park because basically and unlike photographing parkour like whenever I photograph parkour I basically have to wait for the parkour dudes to like be like oh we're going to do this thing do you want to come and photograph us and they only get together like maybe once a month so it's a little kind of few and far between but the skate park is always there and I can always just go to it any day I want and you know kind of keep my fingers crossed that people will be there but usually somebody is there to photograph so I've been making an effort like yesterday I got up and uh 
Patrick was playing Destiny. Uh, we'll talk about Destiny later, but he was playing. He's been playing the shit out of Destiny Two. So I was like, okay, well, if he's just going to be sitting around playing Destiny, like I'll just go to the skate park for a few hours and take some pictures. So. I go to the skate park, and luckily one of my favorite dudes to photograph was there when I got there, so that was good. And I, uh, so you know, I was taking some pictures, and there was like uh, some like BMX like dude there who like wanted me to take some pictures of him doing his like BMX tricks and shit. And we're getting ready to leave, and uh, two of the guys were like, "Oh hey, I think we're gonna go over to this other park. Uh, you know, do you have any interest in going over there?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. I don't have anything else to do." Like. You know, let me jump in my car. I'll look it up on Google Maps and I'll meet you guys over there. So uh, I go over to there's a little picnic table like right in the middle of the skate park where people just kind of like chill out and sit down and drink water and whatever. And I go over there to get my camera bag and my camera bag is gone. Oh, no. Yeah. So somebody stole my camera bag while I was oh, at the skate park yesterday. Shit, for real? Oh, for real. I was hoping you were going to I was hoping you're going to say, oh, but then it was behind the table or i found it in a nearby squirrel's nest or something like that no it's actually full-on stolen uh as of right now it is full-on stolen oh assholes but you had your camera with you though right yeah i mean the good news is i I still got some stuff stolen but the good news is that my camera did not get stolen because i had my camera in my hands the whole time and i have three different lenses and the lens that I had on my camera that I was using is my lens that I use like 95% of the time. So the other two lenses, um, they got stolen. I don't really, I mean, I still would like to have them. It's shitty that they got stolen, but I don't really use them that much. But like my camera bag got stolen, two lenses and I got stolen. And I mean, there wasn't, luckily I didn't really have anything else in the bag. Like I had my car keys and my phone and my wallet on me, like in my, uh, in my pockets. Um, so it was really just the two lenses, a lens cap and like a pocket knife and like a Zippo lighter and like a tiny, like a little notebook that I keep in there and a camera battery. Um, but most of that stuff is cheap, which is the good news. I mean, the kind of shitty thing is like, yeah, I got two, um, you know, two lenses stolen. They're probably worth, uh, maybe like about two to 300 total, um, but on the bright side, they are like literally the cheapest lenses that Nikon makes. Like one of them is the 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 lens, the eighteen to fifty five millimeter that comes with like anytime you buy like a Nikon camera, that's like the kit lens that comes on it. And then the other one that I had, um, a fifty five to two hundred, is like usually packed in with the camera. Like if you get like a little kit, you get both lenses. So like you know, down the road, if I want to replace them or need to replace them, they're like the cheapest ones I can get because sometimes lenses are like three or four or five or six hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars like they can get really expensive really quickly depending on what they are um but uh yeah it was shitty Uh, my bag wasn't there i couldn't i mean there was really nothing i could do about it like i think i know the group of people who took it but uh because there weren't that many people there but i didn't i mean i don't know any of them and they were there for a half an hour and they were gone so it's not like i can like track them down or anything and the guys who were there didn't know who they were i mean like the skateboarders i photographed didn't know who they were um so yeah it's kind of shitty but uh at least they didn't take like my best equipment they just got the stuff that i don't use very much oh that sucks i mean you know thankfully like it wasn't like a thousand dollar lens but at the same time having anything stolen is just fucking dirty that sucks i can't believe that i mean so i'm guessing when you're photographing i mean i've seen some of your shots and you have some pretty good action shots i mean like it's like you got some weird angles and all sorts of uh, vibrancy going on in your pictures i'm assuming that you're like 
hanging from a tree upside down and you're laying <laughs> laying in, a, in the bottom of the pool and you're uh you know hand standing on a bench to get like these angles and so is that why like you don't have your bag with you all the time like you just had to put it down because it's it's too it's too dynamic for you to be out there getting those shots uh i mean yeah that's kind of it i mean i do like the bag that i own I, and luckily the bag itself isn't very expensive either it's literally like this like 25 dollar bag i bought on amazon but like i bought like a it's just like a one strap bag that's pretty, it's got like, you know, the strap that goes from like your right shoulder to your left hip, but it's got a couple of other straps that like, like they go like around your right side that kind of keep it really secure. You can like pull them tight and keep it. And I bought that kind of bag so that I could keep it on me and it would be secure if I had to wear it when I shoot. But like, if I go to the skate park or if I go, like if I shoot parkour and we're just like going to be in one area during parkour, I do put the bag down because I mean, it's not like a huge bag and I don't have like a thousand things in it, but it's still, um, it's just like a little bit bulky. Cause I do, I actually do like lay on the ground, like, like straight up, like lay down on the ground, like to head, like touching the floor, um, a lot when I shoot because I like to shoot up on people, especially for like action shots or people are jumping or people are like getting air on their skateboard. I mean, the lower I can get, the higher they look and just having a bag on me is not, not very convenient for that kind of situation. If I'm like laying on the ground or trying to lay on my back, it's just not good. So usually I just, yeah, I just take it off and I put it down. And I mean, of fucking course, like that usually when I'm shooting at the skate park, I'm like within like 50 feet of the picnic table because it's pretty central in the park. But like, of course I walked down to the bowls to shoot this BMX dude for like five minutes. And I'm sure that's when it happened. Cause I was on the other side of the park for a few minutes to photograph him. And then I went back and I didn't even check the table. Cause I was just talking with some of the other guys. And then, you know, I go back to look at it and it is gone. Well, I'm really sorry, man. I'm really sorry. That sucks. People suck. You know, they I, they probably only got, like, a fraction of the value. They probably took it to some cheap-ass pawn shop and got 10 bucks for whatever to buy some... Whatever hardcore drugs those skateboarders <laughs> are smoking. Who knows what. But that sucks, man. I'm really sorry. Um, just one more one more quick thing, and then we can move on. I don't want to dwell on your sorrow all night long here. Um, have you considered getting one of those vests that has, like, 10,000 pockets on it? Because my son actually has a vest like that, and it was sold to us as a photographer's vest. And it's got a bunch of little, you know, like 25 little compartments. I've seen like fly fishermen use them too, where it's like, it's just a vest. And so you're not really carrying a big bag, but it's got like all these different size pockets. So you can have a lens and extra, I was going to say film, but film, cameras don't use film anymore. Jesus. <sighs> How I had an old man moment there for a second. Um, uh, you know, like whatever you need, like whatever you like, a bunch of pockets. Like, is that, is that something that would work for you? It's having a little vest? Uh I mean, probably not because the two, two of the lenses that I would have on the vest are kind of, I mean, they're not like big, but they're too big for me to want to carry around probably on a vest like that. Um, so I don't know. I doubt it. It's definitely an interesting idea, but I think that because one of the lenses that I like never use is kind of, it's probably like maybe like 10 inches long and it's pretty, uh, it's got some uh, girth to it, for lack of a better word. So I don't know oh, if it would like, fit. I don't know <laughs> if it would fit like on the vest very well. I mean, if I had two like smaller compact lenses, um, you know, maybe like a fixed like fifty or thirty-five millimeter, that would probably work because they would be like pretty small and pretty compact. But because my other two lenses that got stolen were zoom lenses, they're a little bit bigger, and I don't know if that would work very well, like putting them on a vest like that. Fair enough. Just trying to problem solve for you, my friend. I hate to hear that this thing got <laughs> stolen. Also, I cannot let it pass that you said 
10 inches and girth in the same sentence, and we didn't make a dick joke out of it. That was a missed opportunity. Bad, Corey. Bad. Next time, I mean, go for the joke. I, I said it, and I thought you were going to follow it up with the joke, but so here we are. Okay. Okay. All right. I will. I will not let that slide next time. We will. Uh, we will. We will. We will leap on that uh, that joke opportunity next time, and we will uh, make the punchline. Anything? Uh, <laughs> anything uh, on a positive note this week? Anything about not theft? Um, I don't know. I feel I have this weird feeling in my head where, like, I know it's only been a few days since we talked because we just podcasted on Tuesday, but. I feel like there's something else that happened this week that I'm like, yeah, I wanted to talk about this on the show. And I just can't think of it. Like something, maybe like the, the theft is like overshadowing whatever memory I had of something else that happened this week. But I honestly just like can't, like I could have sworn there was something, but I, I don't know. I don't think I have anything else. Despite getting stuff stolen though, I am in pretty high spirits right now. I mean, it's kind of shitty losing like half my photography equipment, but I mean, Whatever, it's not the end of the world. Life goes on. I have the equipment that I use 90% of the time anyway. So I, I can happily report that despite a theft being the most important thing that's happened to me in a week, uh, I am still in uh, good spirits, I think. All right. Well, good, good, good. I'm really sorry that happened to you. That fucking sucks. Uh, but it sounds like you're handling it well. So, okay. Um, we'll move on to my banter then. Just a couple of random things this week. Uh, first off, just a heads up. To fans of the show Face Off, I've talked about this on the show before. It's one of my favorite shows. It's a, I don't know, reality slash competition where different special effects makeup artists compete with each other to, you know, prove their skills. It's like a season long and they do these, you know, every week they're making like vampires, they're making zombies or they're making aliens or whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's really fascinating. I love seeing the process of how they go through this stuff. Love seeing um, just the different ideas they come up with. And the best part about the show is that they don't backstab each other like a normal reality show. Like, they're very supportive of each other. Uh, Anybody who's a dick on that show ends up getting booted pretty quickly. And it's nice to see people cooperating, even though they are actually competing with each other. Um, Currently, that show is on hiatus. They just finished their uh, last season. I want to say it was season 11. Maybe it was season... 13 what i don't remember what season was and i love that show and i hate when it goes off because i I love watching it but this year nice surprise and something i did not realize until recently they have an alternate show going so like the same host a lot of the same judges and even a lot of the same competitors are coming back for a totally different show uh this new show is called game face so the word face being the link between them still a special effects makeup show the structure of it's really different. Instead of having one competition over an entire season, they have one competition per episode. So it goes by like super fast. And of course, because the challenges have to be done in one show, they're a lot smaller. So it's a little bit of a different focus. Usually the focus on just the face rather than having like all of the rest of the body have makeup or prosthetics or something. So it's a little bit of a different spin, but it scratches the same itch. I didn't even realize it was on the air. I didn't hear anything about it, which is weird because you would think they would um, try to hype this show uh, when they have the people watching their other show, but I don't remember them ever mentioning it, and I just kind of found out about it randomly. I think it was because I follow the host on Twitter, and she said something about it, and I'm like, wait a minute, what is she talking about? And I looked it up, and I'm like, holy shit, there's like a whole other show I can watch, so... (laughs) I love I love Face Off, and I've seen I think the first two episodes of Game Face. I love that show as well. I, it's great if you like sci-fi, monsters, uh, makeup, prosthetics, fabrication, anything like that. It's like the best show. I love 
this show. I know we've mentioned it before. Have you ever have you ever seen it, Corey? Did you ever catch it? I have seen. Um, I haven't seen Game Face, but I've seen episodes of Face Off. Um, like I'm not like a diehard, but I've seen. I don't know, maybe like ten or fifteen episodes, kind of like off and on here and there. Like when I was probably whenever I was like in high school, maybe. Um, God, it's weird to think that the show's been on that long. Um, maybe like my mom would watch it and I would catch it on. I think it's a really great show. Pretty much everything you said, I agree with. I think it's really neat. Um, it's cool to see, uh, you know, special effects, like really kind of like a behind the scenes of how special effects makeup kind of uh, comes to fruition on someone's body and, you know, on someone's face and, you know, with prosthetic limbs and prosthetic ears and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to see the artistry of it. Um, I don't watch it like full on, but I definitely think it's a good show and I support it. So it's cool that they have uh, kind of like, I guess, what sounds like a, a scaled down slight version of the show. Yeah, totally. It's definitely smaller. It's kind of just like a, a fill in until they can start the next season. And they every year at the, as they get to the final episode of each season, I'm always like I'm always holding my breath. I'm like, oh, God, please say that there's a season. Please say that there's a season. And I keep <laughs> waiting for them. To say, oh, this was the last one, we're done. And thankfully, they haven't gotten to that point yet. I mean, clearly, it's it's popular enough. They get a lot of really big name uh, producers and directors and really famous people in the movie scene to get on the show. So it seems like it's got some recognition and some reach. Um, I would be happy if the show ran forever. I know it's going to end someday. That will be a very, very, very sad day for me. But as of right now, it looks like they're doubling up instead of, uh, instead of cutting anything. So that is good news to my ears. Um... Along the same lines, uh, this weekend, I took some time to hang out with my son. I was working a lot the last couple weeks. And although I'm home every night, I mean, it's not like I ever go a day without seeing him unless I go on a trip or something. So it's been really busy. You know, I come home and I feel tired sometimes. And, you know, it's like I'm exhausted from working all day and my son wants to do something. And then it's like, you know, I do my best to play along. But man, after like eight, nine, ten hours, you get home. Sometimes you just don't want to play with Transformers, right? So it's like... (laughs) I feel those are like when my dad guilt really builds up. And so I thought, okay, this weekend we're going to really, we're going to do some quality time, going to get some, some good stuff in. So this was basically like my, my son's weekend. Um, the first thing we did was we, we love to watch old, really shitty sci-fi movies and horror movies together. He's only eight, so he can't handle any of the really scary stuff. We're going to build up to that later on. I'm looking forward to that very much. Uh, but right now we're kind of still in like the fifties rubber mask monster mode, like all the goofy, <laughs> this really, this really, you know, Terrible movies. Some of them are terrible, but uh, this weekend was we picked a real howler of a film. It was called Giant Spider Invasion, uh, and this was actually a more recent one. This was from '75, so uh, not our usual uh, decade. But we like, oh, okay, this is brand new on iTunes. Let's check it out. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. The whole movie was made for like three hundred thousand dollars, which. I mean, God, I mean, that maybe that seems like a lot of money to some people. But when you look at movies these days, that's like the cost of like one B-list actor these days. Like you can't even you can't film a whole movie for three hundred thousand dollars these days. So they got the whole thing done for three hundred K. The script was awful. Uh, (laughs) The actors were awful. It was really weird. And the monster, they had basically a bunch of tarantulas, like real tarantulas. They must have caught in the desert somewhere and brought them back. And, you know, people screaming, the bugs walking all over them. Big deal. But they had this other giant, like, mother spider, and it was actually kind of cool. It was huge, much bigger than I've seen in other movies of this sort. And I was really wondering how they did it, so my wife looked it up. 
And it turns out they actually had like a Volkswagen and they just piled a bunch of like spider legs and a big rubber head and stuff on top of it. And they were driving that Volkswagen like over hills and through town <laughs> and shit. I mean, the way that they filmed it, I mean, it totally looked, it looked fake. Like, I'm not going to say it looked real, but there was something really impressive about the scale of it. Like just because it was a real effect. It wasn't computer uh, animation. It wasn't CG or anything. So something something is neat about seeing something that physically large in a real space and people reacting to it. It was kind of cool in a few shots. I mean, it doesn't make the movie good, uh, but that particular spider I was really impressed by because it looked pretty cool for what it was. And knowing that there was a Volkswagen underneath it was pretty neat. But <laughs> Terrible film. Uh, script was really bad. A couple of really like inappropriate things. I had forgotten about this, but the 70s is when movies got really kind of skeevy and creepy. And there's a lot of like real... I mean, there's, like, a good version of sexploitation where some of that was okay and just really humorous, and some of it was just, like, really gross and creepy. And this movie had, like, the gross and creepy stuff. It was, like, a mom hitting on her daughter's son. Or, I mean, her daughter's boyfriend, not her son. A mom hitting on her daughter's boyfriend and, like, people, like, going to a cat house. And it was just a lot of harassment in the bar. Like, that, that stuff was really gross. And so we fast-forwarded past a lot of that. That was nasty, but... Other than that, I really enjoyed seeing The Big Spider. My son really liked it a lot, and it was definitely a bad enough movie to qualify for our our taste. So, um, <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, one other really quick thing to mention was uh, we went down to our local comic shop. I had a comic shop nearby that I was a really big fan of. I went to for several years, and I had kind of a falling out with the owner of the shop. Uh, ended kind of in a bad way, so I never went back, which was really unfortunate because the shop was literally across the street from my house. All I had to do, walk across one street, and it was right there. Like, you looked out my front door, I could see the comic shop, which was really cool. Um, so it's unfortunate we, we ended uh, parting ways. But we went to a new comic shop called Comics Dungeon, which is on 45th. It's a pretty famous one. It's been around for many, many years. And I hadn't been there in a long time, but I thought, well, I want to get some comics. My son wanted to get some. I'm like, oh, you got to pick a new shop because it's been a long time. Uh, we need to get reestablished somewhere. And we went to check it out. And I got to say, it's much different and much better than I remember. Um, back in the day, it really was fitting of the title Comics Dungeon. Like, it was gross. It was dirty, <laughs> dark, you know, just stacks of stuff all over the place. The people who worked there were just, you know, looked like they didn't want you to bother them when you went in. I mean, it was pretty... It was pretty hardcore as far as, like, nerd comic shops go. But now, new location. They've totally cleaned it up. Everything is, like, bright, well-lit. Um, there's It's, it's clutter-free. The people were super friendly and, like, greeted us as soon as we came in. Um, there was, like, a guy and two girls that were working there. And they had, like, uh, all different kinds of selections. There was, like, you know, the regular new stuff that was coming in. They had, like, a women's section. They had a kid's section. They had some toys and stuff. I mean, it was really cool. Like, it seemed like the really kind of like the kind of place that you would feel okay bringing a family to, which is exactly what we did. And when we were there, I mean, we saw tons of people coming in, like couples, some single people, you know, some women. Like, it wasn't just like you know the loner people or the the really scary looking greasy comic dudes. Like, it seemed like a really good variety of like you know people who had lives and stuff, which was nice. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, not to shit talk comic people because I am a comics person, but I mean. You know, there's a certain segment of people and, you know, they do live up to the stereotype sometimes. I mean, I've been there. I've been that guy. I, I used to run a couple of comic shops, actually, in a former lifetime. So I, I've lived that life and I know what it's about. So seeing how clean and how nice and how friendly this was was really cool. So I want to give a shout out to Comics Dungeon on 45th here in Seattle. Um, they have really have uh, given themselves a facelift and it was very cool and friendly. I would definitely recommend it to anybody in the area who wanted a 
you know, like a non-creepy, non-scary comic shop to go to. That was a really cool one. So that is my banter for this week. Um, anything before we move on to the uh, the main event, Corey? Did you remember what your other your topic was? Uh, I did not remember my other topic, but I do want to say that even though I'm not a, I'm not really a comic reader, I feel, I literally have only read, I think, one comic in my entire life or one like graphic novel or what have you. Um, but I am proud to report to you that in the six months that I've lived in New Orleans, I've been to two comic shops in New Orleans. So if you ever visit or if your family ever visits, I know at least two comic shops that I could take you to while you're here, Brad. Interesting. Well, two questions. So number one, what was the one graphic novel you read? Uh, the Killing Joke. Ah, what, did, what made you read that one? Uh, because at the time I was working with one of my old, whenever I worked at Target, let's see, this would be my second Target that I worked at when I was in college. Um, I had a manager at the time whose name was Rashad and he's like a really good friend of mine. Like he, he's kind of one of those dudes that like I started working at Target and he's just like a fucking cool guy. And I was just like, man, this guy is so cool. Like, you know, maybe, maybe someday we can be friends because he's just such a cool guy. And basically that's like exactly what happened. Like we worked together so much that we ended up becoming pretty good friends despite him being like pretty superior to me. And he was like super into comics. And he's basically one of those guys that like, you you can ask about like any topic, even if you think, because if you look at him and his demeanor and how he dresses and how he acts, you would never think like, oh, that guy, I bet that guy knows a lot about comic books. But like, he knows so much about comics and about like different artists and different, um, you know, authors and different publishing houses and like all this stuff. And he's just like, oh man, he's just such a great guy. Um, and he had actually recommended The Killing Joke at some point because it's, you know, regarded as one of like the best Batman, you know, Batman graphic novels or comics. And, uh, you know, and it's like the Joker's like, quote unquote, like truest origin story that people kind of take to. And uh, and I can't remember what the circumstances were surrounding it. I can't remember if like a Batman movie had just come out, like maybe like The Dark Knight had come out or if maybe like we were talking about like the Batman Arkham video games or something, but I just remember him talking about it and recommending it. So I ended up finding, this is kind of dirty, but I ended up just finding a copy, a PDF of it online and I downloaded it on, um, uh, for free. I pirated it, uh, which, you know, whoops, my bad. Um, I, I downloaded a free copy of it and read it on my iPad, which, uh, was actually kind of nice because, um, I hadn't used my iPad for like, comics at the time but one thing that kind of like you know it's like a barrier for entry for me for comics is like when you open the page and it's like you know like 30 panels and it's and it's hard for me to like sequence that in my brain and to kind of read it and like you know one panel at a time and I know that you know the comics like you're supposed to take I reckon you know take it each panel at a time but you have to take into account the physical layout of every page as well so one thing I did when I read and on my iPad, I just like zoomed the screen in on every panel at a time and kind of did it that way. And it kind of made it more a more digestible way to like read every panel as I went. And then I would zoom out and kind of look at the page as a whole before moving on to the next page. Um, but that is that's the one that I've read whenever I was doing my Ghost in the Shell a thon and watching all the Ghost in the Shell anime before uh, the movie came out, the live action movie. I actually almost bought the original Ghost in the Shell uh, manga at Barnes and Noble because they have it there. Um, 
but I did not because it's kind of expensive and I didn't feel like spending money on it at the time. But uh, if I ever read another uh, comic slash graphic novel slash manga, uh, Ghost in the Shell would probably be my next one. Interesting. I actually have read only a couple comics on an iPad. I don't like it very much. I mean, granted, I'm kind of an old school guy when it comes to comics. I mean, I just like having the comic in my hand and like, you know, the physicality of it. And I have a big collection of comics and stuff. So I like, you know, I like the paper and all that. But it was it was just weird to me, like just zooming and scrolling around. And (laughs) it kind of felt like just a fucking hassle to me. Like, I don't know. I just like turning the page, you know. But anyway, uh, so my second follow up question, why did you go to these comic shops? If you don't read, what was it that that drew you to these shops in New Orleans? Uh, There was uh, we had a friend in town, um, Earl, who's from New York. Um, He was in town visiting us and he's uh, very into comics and comic books and you know, comic book movies, and he's very much into the same kind of nerd culture stuff that we're into, and and the process of showing him around town, we just happened to be in a neighborhood, or a couple of neighborhoods um, at the time, where there were some comic shops located, so we just, you know, we like ate lunch or whatever, uh, Patrick and him and I, and we went down the street to check out the comic shop, and then one other day, you know, we were having brunch or something, and there happened to be a comic shop close by, so we went into it, and, um, and uh, yeah, like, I don't think I would have gone into them on my own because I don't know enough about comics. Cause like, I feel like a comic shop is a very specialty shop. Like kind of like, I, I kind of, it's kind of like a GameStop where like, you don't really just go into a comic shop or a GameStop to just like browse. You kind of like have an idea of what you want and you go in there and you're like expected to buy the thing and leave. And I just feel weird, like browsing in specialty shops like that. So I don't really, cause I don't know what I'm looking for and I don't know what I want and I don't, the barrier for entry for comics, I feel like, is so high that I just can't quite get into it. And uh, so that, I don't know. Does that make any sense? That makes total sense. But I would like to counter that by saying, as someone who worked and ran comic shops in the past and has dealt with customers for many years, that is actually not how comic shops should be. And I, I get how you would feel that way. There are definitely some shops where you get that vibe where it's like they want you to, they just want you to leave, it almost seems like. <laughs> Uh, because they just want to just be alone or maybe they, they sense like you're not their people or whatever. But a good comic shop is a place that they should welcome you to browse because they want you to look at the different things. They want you to see something that catches your eye. And a good comic shop will be able to recognize pretty quickly if a person looks a little bit lost or if they seem like they're kind of wandering without much purpose. And a good comic shop will go up to you and say, hey, man, what do you need? Can I help you find something? And if you don't know what you're looking for, a good comic shop will be able to recommend many things like, hey, what do you like? Like, what TV shows do you like? What movies do you like? Oh, okay, well, here's a book that's kind of like that. Look at this. Does this seem like something you like? No? Okay, fine. Let's look at this other thing. <laughs> so, like, it's definitely, it definitely depends on the shop you go to. The best shops will be very welcoming. They'll be very open. They won't, like, shame you for not being nerd enough or anything like that. <laughs> and they should definitely, like, try to get you in. I mean, that's, like, how they survive, right? Like, if nobody comes in and buys books, they're out of a fucking job. And if they are knowledgeable about the subject, if they love the subject, and, like, why wouldn't they be? Because why else would they be there? Um, you know, they should be able to share that love with other people and be able to get people in. If you're not able to do that, I would I would suggest that maybe you shouldn't be working in a comic shop. Um, <laughs> so I would say if you have that experience, that is probably a bad comic shop to go to and maybe look for one uh, that is more welcoming and more um, receptive to newcomers or people who are just, you know, looking around or just tests in the waters so that's that's what i would say as someone who has has been there and done that so anyway let's wrap it up we've been talking and talking and talking and talking and we have not gotten to the meat of our discussion this week i say let's talk about some games Corey. what do you say yes let's talk about games 
All right. Um, this is a little bit of a weird hodgepodge of stuff this week. Um, let's start with the smaller stuff, and then we will build up to the juicy, juicier, meatier entrees. <laughs> uh, first off, let me kick things off by circling back and talking about something from last week's episode. Recore colon definitive edition. Now, I I know you saw me talking about this on Twitter. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, because you, in true Brad Galloway fashion, you were like a couple hours into this game and singing its praises from the heavens. And then you found something in the game, or at least this is what it seems like to me. You found something in the game that totally 180'd you on it. And now I want to hear all the bad to counter all the good that you talked about last week. No, that is very true. That is very true. Um, and I have to say, I have very rarely seen a game go from super awesome. Uh, this game was literally on my top 10 this year. Uh, I was thinking I was having such a good time with it. I was really going to like really sell it pretty hard. Uh, I have rarely seen a game go from being something that ranked that highly with me to something where I like immediately took it out and stopped playing <laughs> it and put it back in the backlog. Uh, it was a huge, huge come down. So just to recap, for people who may not have heard last week's episode, uh, Record Definitive Edition came out. You may remember this was a very troubled release uh, last year for Microsoft. It had some people that were the uh, the leftovers from Capcom and the leftovers <laughs> from uh, Retro Studios. Seems like a perfect fit. They crafted this uh, story about a girl who is on a desert planet with a couple of robot sidekicks, and she needs to restore the planet. Uh, seemed like a winner on paper, but it tanked really hard for a number of reasons. Basically, the game was released unfinished and unpolished. So Microsoft dropped a totally surprise update last week or the week before. I can't remember when it was. Nobody knew this update was coming. Nobody had talked about it until it was here, and then it was here. And basically, they created ReCore, the definitive edition, which fixed a lot of the problems. They added some extra content and basically just got the game into the shape it should have been when it launched. I had never played it before. This was my first experience with the Definitive Edition, and I was very excited to get into it and also glad that I waited. Um, first impressions, extremely positive. The character is really mobile. It was really fun to like be jumping and dashing with her. Like It just felt good to move her around the environment. Very good. Uh, I like the robots. Robots had cool designs. The premise was pretty good. I was down. Like I was, I was into this game. I had nothing but good things to say about it last week, and that's all true. Like The first... For no, no, probably probably closer to the first six or eight hours. Just really good time, just solid all the way through. Then, and like I'm just I'm just shaking my head, dude. Like I just can't understand this. So what happens is I progress the story. I got to a point at which they were telling me to go to this new level. Okay, fine. I get to the new level, and this level is obviously one of the new areas they've added. Um, I can tell because the developers added a brand new robot that wasn't there before. This robot is a tank, and he is basically used to get across mud. If you try to walk across mud, you just sink in, and it's like quicksand and you die. But if you have this robot with the tank treads, you can skim across the top of the mud, and that's how I know this is a new section, because the section would not have been there before this robot was there. Anyway, uh, I get to the section, and it says, Oh, hey, we need to get this doodad. Please go to this dungeon and find this doodad so you can progress the story. Okay, fine. So I go into the dungeon, and it's dark. Like, right away, it's really dark. Uh, darker than anything that's come before in the game, which is trouble to me, because I don't like dark games. These games are called fucking video games. You need to be able to see them, the video. Any game where it's dark, 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 I immediately loses huge points for me. 
It's not fun, dude. It's just not fun. Can't see where I'm going. I usually end up turning the brightness way up on my TV so I can see what's going on. I just, I, I fucking hate darkness in games. Anyway, that was a, that was a warning, but I'm like, okay, fine. It's a dark level. This sucks, but I'm going to push through, get back to the good stuff. No problem. The game had a massive difficulty spike. I mean, it had been fine up until that point. The combat, you know, not too bad. I died a couple times here and there, nothing major. The levels, the, the, the puzzles, no problem at all. I mean, it was pretty enjoyable, having a pretty good time. Get to this level. It's called the Well of Shadows, by the way. Uh, got to the Well of Shadows, and it was like hyper-precision platforming of the kind that had not been in the game up until then, and it was like 10 times harder than anything that had come before. It was a huge difficulty spike, and I was like, it was so hard to the point where I wasn't even sure that I was supposed to be doing it because I didn't know if my character could, like, perform what was necessary, and I died a bunch, but then every time I was just getting ready to quit, like, I would make it, and then I'd be like, oh, okay, I just need to, you know, just gotta get good and, you know, push on, which kind of was <laughs> shitty, but I'm like, okay, fine, I'll just, I'll just, you know, sack up and I'll just push on. Um, barely made it through. Very, very tough. Very tough level. Not enjoyable. Died a million times. And I get to the final room and there's this like weird thing I've never seen before. It's like, it looks like, I don't know, a basketball backboard. And I'm like, huh, I've never seen this before. I don't know what it is. They didn't tell me what it is. I'm not sure what's going on. And these basketball backboards were above enemies that were within um, impenetrable, impenetrable barriers. So I'm like, what is what is going on with this? I don't understand. Um, the robots that I brought with me were not able to hit those enemies. I didn't have anything to do with the bla- the, the basketball backboards. I was like, I, you know, I tried to jump around and I could tag one of them just kind of like getting a weird angle on it. But it felt like I was kind of just, you know, uh, I don't know, just hitting him through a glitch or something. It didn't seem like that was the way I was supposed to do it. So I spent a lot of time back and forth. I was trying every weapon that I had. Just couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. Got really, really frustrated. And I jumped on YouTube to see what the fuck I was supposed to do. Turns out you need to have a special gun which gives you bouncy bullets in order to bounce them off the basketball backboard and hit those enemies. I didn't even have that gun. So I made it through this shitty-ass dungeon. I mean, it took me like at least an hour and a half or two hours to get through that dungeon. Got to the final room, literally the final room, and I did not have the gun that I needed to finish the fucking level. And it was like, ah, that's game design 101. You do not let a player into an area that they are incapable of finishing without giving them a warning. There was no warning at all. It was like, why would I, why would I be in this level if I didn't have the gun? I can't finish it. Like, why would you make me do that? Like, it drove me insane that I put out that much effort, wasted my entire evening of game time. And my time is precious dude my time is super precious i felt really mad that i you know my my one session for the evening i burned it on this level which was not fun to play in the first place and then i get to the end and it's actually literally uncompletable because they let me in the level without me having that gun and i don't even know where that gun is so this level is my very next objective to do in the story and i don't know where to get that gun what i'm supposed to do i literally at a loss the Definitive Edition just came out like a week or two weeks ago. There's no FAQs up for it. I was Googling like a madman, couldn't find out where to find the gun. And honestly, I shouldn't have to. It's real, like I said, Game Design 101. If this is something mission critical, you need to like give that to the player or give them a hint or put it in the critical path or something so that they're not just stuck and flailing and trying to figure out what to do. I mean, if it's a bonus level, 
if it's a secret Easter egg or something, that's, that's fair game. You know, you don't need to spell that out. But for something that you need to do to complete the fucking game, you need to like get your shit in order. This is like a huge failing. I was, I was raging. I was so angry at the end of this um, because it was frustrating to play, wasted my time. And I didn't, now I, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to go. So I just like, I took the fucking disc out, put it back in the box, put the box back in my backlog. And I'm like, you know what? You and I had a real good time up until this point. Uh, we may get back together at some point, but now is not that time. Uh, I'm going to let a couple months go by, let some people do some FAQs. I sent a really angry tweet to the developer, and I told them they need to get their shit together because this was not acceptable. And then I'm like, I'm done. So I walked away from it. And it's a shame because, honestly, like I said, this game was literally on my top 10 of the year up until this point. I mean, it was that's how much I was enjoying it. It was so good. I really don't know how they fucked it up this hard, but they fucked it up so hard and i just i literally didn't understand how that was even possible how could anybody let this happen i don't fucking get it but the again these are the people who released an unfinished game in the first place uh, clearly they fixed some things but they must have broken some other things also so that is where i stand with recore now i <laughs> i had actually a lot of people respond to my comments on recore a lot of people were saying oh now that you like it i'm gonna give it a try i i, I mean like all the shit that I said was true. Like, it's all true. Like, everything that I said was true. I just hadn't gotten to this really bad part yet, and this bad part was so bad that it made me quit the game. So, like, you know, please don't think I was shining you on or, or, or trying to sell this game when it doesn't deserve to be sold, because it really was good. I just I just can't deal with this one section, and I just don't know why they did that. So I, I apologize if anybody ran out and bought this on my recommendation. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would feel bad. I would feel bad, because... I don't want to make people waste money if I give them... I mean, it's not wrong information because it was true, but, you know, I hadn't finished the game when I had talked about it last time. So, yeah, this is a big turn... I mean, this is one of the biggest turnarounds I've ever had. Like, I mean, this is crazy. So, did you... You didn't go out and buy this game, did you, Corey, on my recommendation? No. Uh, last time I had talked about how I played the original version whenever it came out, and I only played it for about an hour or two before realizing that it just wasn't really my kind of game. So, uh, luckily... I did not retread the definitive edition, <clears throat> and I uh, have no plans to, especially after hearing you talk about it now. <laughs> oh, God, it's such a shame because, dude, I was really enjoying it. I, I want this game to be good. I really want it to be good, and I'm just really frustrated that that happened. That was just, like, the worst possible thing. So, you know, I may come back to it because there was a lot of good stuff in there, and I kind of want to finish it just to see how it all goes. But we just we just need some time apart right now. I need, I need some space, so... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see other people for a while we're gonna test it out maybe we'll get back together maybe we won't i don't know we'll see what happens anyway that is the recore update um if you bought this game because i recommended it i am definitely sorry please let me know if so i will not give you a refund but I i'm glad to hear your sob story so anyway let's move on uh like i said earlier this is a bit of a strange week uh we played a couple demos and uh, we don't usually talk about demos often on the show but let's talk about demos this week um, I'm actually a veteran of the demo for the series that we are just about to discuss. And I'm actually really, really, really curious to see what you thought about it. So Corey, why don't you, as the newcomer, I'm pretty sure, kick us off with the Danganronpa 3 demo on PS4. Okay, so I played this like just this afternoon, so it's pretty fresh to me. And let, let me, I will preface this by saying um, 
what I know about the Danganronpa series, and then we can talk about the demo itself. But first off, uh, Danganronpa 3 is coming out on September 26th. There is a demo on PS4. I, I reckon it's probably on Vita, too. Um, it's coming out to Windows PC. I don't know if there's any demo on PC, but there is one on the PlayStation 4 for sure. Um, it's direct up, dire, or directed, developed by Spike Chunsoft, published by... Uh, I also believe it's published by Spike Chunsoft as well, and... NIS software and Microsoft Windows, depending on the platform. Um, that's all the technical information. But going in, okay, so this is my first uh, hands-on experience with the Danganronpa game. And I have heard you, Brad, I've heard you talk about Danganronpa on Game Critics Podcast years ago. And every time you talked about them, I always thought, like, man, that sounds like a really interesting game. It sounds like something that I would like to play. Um, and from what you had described, I had gathered that uh, Danganronpa 1 and 2 are about, they're kind of like, almost like visual novels rather than like full-on like game games where, you know, you're not running around and shooting people, you're not platforming, you're not doing all that stuff. Basically, you're just walking around in these environments, you're talking to people. Um, the, the preface of the game, from what I had heard, is that it takes place in like a school and you're in this, you're like trapped in the school with all these other people. And there's some kind of, like, murder mystery, like, dark comedy element to it. Um, and that's pretty, that's more or less everything I knew going in. How accurate are all those statements, Brad? Sounds like you are right on the money, sir. Okay, good. So, despite the fact that I've never played one of these games before the demo, I do, in fact, know what I'm talking about. And I can credit you for knowing what I'm talking about, because all the stuff I've heard about this game, I'm pretty sure, has been from you and you alone. Um <laughs> but I, I turned on the Danganronpa demo earlier, and uh, okay, so basically the demo sets you up where you are playing as this uh, schoolgirl, more or less named uh, Keade, I think is how you pronounce her name, and and this is like a Japanese as Japanese game, like it's very very like anime kind of over the top styling, um, almost looks like you're watching like a comic or an anime or something like that, and. She wakes up in uh, at school at this desk, and she doesn't really remember how she got there. There's a guy named uh, Makoto in the room with her, and she wakes up, and he's like, Hi, I'm Makoto. Um, you know, we're in this school. You should look around. He kind of gives you a little bit of a tutorial. He's like, you should look around the room, see what you can find. Um, maybe it'll give us some clues as to what's going on. And so, like, the meat of the game or the demo is kind of like, if you're in an individual room, it's like a one, it's like a first person camera where you just kind of pan the camera very lightly around the room from one angle. Like you're not walking around the room at all. You're just panning the camera and you can click on things in the environment. You move a little cursor around, you click on things in the environment that might or might not have interesting like clues to them. Like for example, in the first room she wakes up in in the classroom, there's a little like envelope on her desk and you can move the cursor to the envelope, you click on it and it's like a note from from somebody saying that she needs to go to the gym, the gymnasium, and that, like, um, you know, her questions might be answered when she gets to the gym. And so, and you can also, there's a mechanic where you can press R1, and she it makes her, like, hit things. Like, a little, like, fist comes out of the screen, and you can, like, knock over, like, tables or chairs or, you know, pots and pans and stuff, and there might be stuff, like, hidden under them, I guess. I never found anything hidden, but I guess the mechanic is there. Um, so I talk with, with Makoto. I walk out of the room... And 
basically you're just in like the first floor of this kind of small school building. You walk around, you meet everybody that's on the ground floor of the school. There's probably like 10 characters or so. Um, you have like a dialogue with them. You kind of get to grips with who they are, what they're about. And they all have like a special power kind of thing. Um, and uh, they're, they're called ultimates, if I remember correctly. And uh, the main character, Kaoda, she's like the ultimate pianist. So it's like not like she's like an ultimate dragon slayer. It's like a fucking pianist. And then she eventually, after you meet everybody, you go to the gym and you find out that everybody's been trapped in the school, that uh, the only way to get out of the school is to disrupt the harmony, quote unquote, of the school. And by that, you have to murder somebody. And if you can get away with the murder undetected uh, after because every time there's a murder all the kids get together and they like inspect the, the the murder scene and they have to have like a trial like a class trial to uh present the evidence to discover who's the murderer and if the murderer gets away then they get out of the school i guess and they get away and that's it um but if they don't catch the murderer i guess everybody gets punished in some way i'm not really sure how that is um yeah, let, me, let me clarify that real quick before all you go right, on. Right. So so basically, yeah, you're trapped in the school, like you said. It's a bunch of people. Uh, somebody, the only way to escape the school is if you kill someone and you have to get away with the murder. So if if a person kills someone and then they get through the trial where everybody is, like, asking questions and examining clues and trying to figure it out, if uh, if the people guess who it is correctly and the person does not get away with the murder, that person who did the murder gets killed however <laughs> if the person who committed the murder gets away with it everybody else gets killed so that's the impetus there like you have to you really have a good motivation to figure out who the real murder is because if they get away everybody else gets killed huh okay so i uh i played this demo for a little while and i kind of walked around and i talked to everybody i made it to the gym i talked to the bear dude um who's kind of like the cover like character for the game he's like a half he's like a bear figure and he's like half white and half black like kind of half good half evil or something he's kind of orchestrating the whole thing and um i uh i turned this game off before i even finished the demo because i thought it was really terrible <laughs> <laughs> I uh it's just like I know that the point of this game is supposed to be like an investigative like visual novel like the game is all about like talking to people and gathering evidence and kind of inspecting rooms it's it's in that sense it's pretty much unlike any game I've ever played like I've never really played a game like this but I just remember like every like whenever I was first starting the game and I was walking down every every uh, hallway every corridor in the school like I would turn the corner and there would be another character and I would just be like Ugh, now I have to talk to this person and it would be like a five minute conversation and then like it was just like that over and over again like I didn't give a fuck about any of these characters and then whenever the first like murder happens and it's kind of the big like oh a murder happened we all have to discuss it like I'm in this dorm room by myself and I find the 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 murder the body by myself and then I turn around and there's like five people in the room and I'm like, Ugh, now I'm going to have to talk to all these people. And I talk to all of them and I walk out of the room into like the dorm, like vestibule area. And I walk out there and there's like four people and I'm like, Ugh, now I'm going to have to talk to all these people. And I was just like, you know what? I don't like this. This game is not fun. It's not interesting. 
I don't, despite the fact that it has a large cast of characters, I don't care about any of them. They're all annoying. They're all dumb. The writing is often really, really bad. Like in like a, like a, we're uh, trying to be edgy, but it's not coming off as intelligent way. Uh, and I was just like, man, I can't play this anymore. And I turned it off. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. No, I'm actually really glad to hear you say that because as I was playing this, I'm like, I, I bet Corey's going to fucking hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew you were not going to like this. So I'm glad to be proven correct. That's how well I know you, sir. <laughs> I don't blame you a bit. Like, I get where you're coming from 100%. This is a very niche game for sure. I would not recommend this to just anybody. I would I would only <laughs> recommend this to a very select kind of person who I felt like was a good fit for this. I mean, everything that you said is very true and very fair. Like, you're not wrong in any of that. Um, but this is a really weird situation because Danganronpa is definitely like a visual novel plus a couple of mini games thrown in to kind of keep things moving along and fresh. So it's not just a straight up visual novel, uh, but it, it definitely is a visual novel at its core. And I just, it, it, I mean, I thought the demo was well done. Like as someone who has played the previous games, there were a lot of nods to me because I know what they were talking about and they were referencing characters that I knew they were, who those characters were and they were referencing events that I knew what those events were. And the fact that they said it in a school, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is the school from number one. I totally remember all this and look at what's different. Oh, I remember this. So like for me, it was hitting a lot of those levels that are only possible if you are playing to someone who has experience with the series. Um, and on top of that, it is a very idiosyncratic type of experience. Uh, I mean, I love Danganronpa 1 and 2. I think they're fantastic. I think they're probably some of my favorite games. But even for me playing the demo, I was like, I don't want to play this demo. Like I want to just play the actual game because <laughs> it's a lot to get through. Like there's a lot of talking. If you have never played this game before and you don't know what the structure is, it's going to be really overwhelming. And in fact, in the demo, they often say, Oh, I know this was a lot of information, you know, please do your best. Or, Oh, I know this didn't make any sense. Just keep going. Like they know, they know what they're doing. Like they know this is like not going to be immediately accessible. And there were a lot of like jokes and asides to kind of tip that off, but there's just really nothing they can do because that's just what the game is. And it's really, not something that just, you know, Joe Gamer off the street can walk in and just pick up and play. Like, it's a very, very specialized sort of thing. So your criticisms are very fair, and I'm not surprised at all that you don't like it. I didn't think you would. I would have been shocked if you did like it. <laughs> um, but for me, um, I did think the demo was too long. Um, I don't think that they needed to go through as much as they did. And I don't know. It's just like, I just, uh, I can't see a lot of people who didn't already like that game liking it after that demo. I think it was too much and too confusing. Maybe they should have just not had a demo at all because if you had the whole game in front of you, it would be paced differently. You'd have a different intro. It might be a little bit of a slower lead in, hopefully. Uh, but then again, I mean, of course, no one should be starting it at Danganronpa 3. While that's okay with some series, I absolutely one million percent would not recommend it with this series. This is like, you must start at number one because number one builds on, or number two builds on number one. Number three, I'm sure, is going to build on number two and number one. It's not something that you would just walk into because you would miss so much about references, stuff you'd learn about the world, stuff you'd learn about the characters. I mean, two of the characters in the demo showed up and I was like, oh my God, they're back, hooray. And, uh, you know, you didn't know who the fuck they were. It didn't mean anything to you, which is you know, perfectly sensible. So people who already like the series, were going to buy this game regardless. 
people who have never tried it or don't know what it's about probably not going to be turned on by this demo. Do you think that seems like a fair statement? Uh, yes, I, I think so. I, that seems correct. Yeah, so it was a very problematic demo. Um, and even like I said, even as someone who's a hardcore fan of the series, I, I thought the demo was too long and I didn't really want to play through it. But I did. And just as a heads up to people listening, if you do finish the demo, like all the way finish it, you do get a special save file. And when you start the actual full game, that will unlock some stuff in the game for you. So that was a nice little bonus for getting through the demo. I'm glad that I did because I actually almost quit the demo. There was like one point when I'm like... <laughs> I was like, eh, I don't want to play through this. It's a little bit too long. And plus, I'm going to play the game, and I don't want any spoilers. Maybe I should just stop now. But I went and finished it, and I'm glad that I did. I mean, I got the save files, and that's great. I don't know what it unlocks, but it'll be something, a little bonus. But also, like, at the end, there were some jokes, and it was, you know, it was funny, and I appreciated that. It was, I mean, in one sense, it was very well written and very well done. On the second second perspective, it was terrible, and I don't think they should have done it in the first place. So... (laughs) I know that sounds kind of contradictory, but that is like for real how I feel about it. Um, I'm very excited for the main game, and I really, really, really do love the series. I think the series has like some of the best writing like of any game out there. I know that you probably didn't see that from your slice, and you probably think I'm just talking out my ass. But like some of the story twists were really cool. Some of the character moments are amazing. I think it's like one of those games where you just have to get into it, let it grow on you, give it time to unfold. I mean, it's just it's a really good Really, really good thing that I love, but a little tough to recommend to just just anybody. So, uh, based on what you saw in the demo, Corey, are you going to be signing up for this? I don't think so. I uh, I will never play this game. But the thing that I do want to say one more thing before uh, you give final thoughts, so we move on. That um, as I was playing it, I was I was almost thinking like, man, like I I should really like this game because. Out of all, out of like the swath of games that I've played in my life, this sort of thing, it's so close to being a walking simulator. Like it, and I love, I love a walking simulator. I love a narrative adventure game, but because I mean the the game is just about you walking around the school and about talking to people and about sort of like getting the lowdown on like every, everybody and what's going on and who represents what and you know, what kind of personalities people have, but I mean, it's so close to being a game that I should like, but I think the fact that it is a visual novel and so much of the game is just you reading two lines of dialogue and pressing X and reading two lines of dialogue and pressing X like that, like, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm going to sound like some like stuck up guy who's not open to new experiences when I say this. But like if I want to read a book, I'll go read a book like I don't want to turn on a video game to read a book. And I don't I know I sound like an asshole saying that, but like I I don't I don't want to like sit on the couch with my controller in my hand to like read a million lines of dialogue. That's like not what I'm interested in. So like it's like so close to being a walking sim, but it's just so much dialogue and so much talking to people. And I didn't really like any of the writing in it. Uh, and so I was just like, man, this is totally feel like it should for, be for me, but it is not at all. It's such a miss. Well, let's unpack that for a second, because I think that's interesting, because I think that in general, you are way more into reading emails and reading files and listening <laughs> to audio logs like you. I have zero fucking tolerance to that in games. I hate it. I literally hate it. Um, but but this being a, a visual novel, I make the exception because that's really what this is. So that's OK. 
I'm interested to know, like, is it just that you just didn't like the writing? Like, if the writing was better, do you think that that would work for you? Because you're usually the guy that reads all that shit, and I'm the one who, like, walks on by and doesn't even click on it. And yet this is one where you're reading a bunch and, like, you're investigating and discovering clues. Usually that's your thing, but you really bounced off this so hard. Is it just the style, do you think? I think it's the style, and I think it's the quality of writing, and I think it's also the fact that that's all there is to do in the game. Because, say, in, like... Like Deus Ex, like Human Revolution, Mankind Divided, these are perfect examples because those are the kind of games where, I mean, you're not wrong. I'm the kind of guy that will hack every single computer in that game. And I mean, I don't read every email like word for word, but I will look at every email. I'll skim it real quick. Um, You know, I'll get any passwords or any hacking codes from them. I'll hack every single door and look in every room and really explore those worlds. But I mean... There, and like in a game like Danganronpa, for example, that's all you do. Like you are, like all, I mean, at least in the demo, from my perspective, that's ninety percent of the game is walking up to somebody, clicking through thirty lines of dialogue, and then walking ten feet down the hallway, finding someone, clicking through thirty lines of dialogue. I mean, at least in Deus Ex, there's like a bigger like explorational element you know the art style is very much more interesting to me than this sort of like anime like 2d sprite art style that um that danganronpa has going on and and i mean you know it's also like an experience thing like there's that sort of like satisfaction to me where like oh if i hack this computer i'll get 10 xp or if i hack this door i'll get 30 xp or whatever and i mean with danganronpa that's like i mean that's the the meat and the potatoes and the side dish and the dessert and the appetizer and the drink that's all the game has is you know kind of the visual novel thing so i I like some of that but just like sprinkled in around other gameplay elements that i prefer i think yeah no that's very true i mean if you are not going to like the style if you don't like the style i mean that's that's too big of a hurdle to get over. Like, you have to like the style. You have to like the visuals. You have to like the music. You have to like, you know, the writing. Um, if that if that turns you off immediately, you're not going to be able to get into that. So that makes perfect sense. Um, and it's funny you say that because I, I, you know, I don't hack anybody in DSX. Like, I like, <laughs> I unlock the one door that I need to get going and I just move on. And it, it's funny how the, those games kind of, like, hit us in different ways, um, for sure. So... Oh, well, uh, you know, this is not for everybody. That's that's uh, that is a fact. And that's totally fine. Um, We will chalk this one up to being uh, just not your thing. It's definitely (laughs) it definitely is my thing. But uh, I have to say, I don't in general like visual novels. This is one of the very few. And it's it's funny that you say that it's the meat and the potatoes and the the gravy and the side dish and all that, because this is actually one of the more diverse visual novels out there. Uh, You probably haven't spent a lot of time with visual novels, but some of them are literally nothing but text. And in this one, like you walk around, you can click on different things to examine them. You can, there are different mini games that you can participate in. There's a courtroom sequence, which is kind of like Phoenix Wright. So a lot of visual novels don't have any of that stuff. So if you felt like this didn't offer enough different experiences, then you are definitely not a visual novel guy because this one is the most diverse out of all of them. So interesting, interesting observation. It also says a little, a little bit about our expectations and what we'd like. So I think we learned a little bit about each other today, Corey. <laughs> I, uh, I agree. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about the other demo that we played. NAC 2, developed by SIE Japan, 
published by Sony Interactive Entertainment, which is what SIE means, and I didn't know that until now, but now I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was released September 5th, but I'm assuming neither one of us picked up the full release. I know I didn't. Did you? I did not. Which explains why we are talking about the demo today, folks. Uh, the demo was released a while ago, and I played it, I think, a couple days ago. Corey, did you play this today or recently? Uh, yeah, I played it about five or six hours ago, maybe, this afternoon. Okay, so fresh, fresh in your memory. Uh, I don't remember when the first Knack came out. I, if I remember correctly, it was a launch title for the PS3. Does that say, seem right to you, Corey? Oh, I have no idea. I, if I if I was any kind of a podcaster, I'd have, I would have looked that up before we recorded. I'm pretty sure the original Knack was a launch title for PS3. Uh, Mark Cerny, who is a bigwig in game design, he was on Crash Bandicoot, and he's done a lot of stuff with Sony. He's kind of like one of those fixer guys where if your game sucks, like you, you hire this guy to come in, he takes a look at it, and he tells you what's wrong with it, and then you fix it, and it's better. Like That's kind of his jam, which is something that I would love to do. I would love to be a game fixer. I bet I'd be really good at it. Uh, but he is the one who has that job. Those jobs are scarcer than hen's teeth, I'm sure. Uh, but this is his baby. For whatever reason, he decided to stop fixing other people's games, and he left Crash Bandicoot a while ago, whatever, whatever. And he had the chance to make his own title, and he made Knack, which sucked, which is really weird because he's the game <laughs> fixer. It's odd, but his game sucked. Knack sucked. It was uh, about a weird creature made up of little polygon bits triangles of metal or whatever he starts off as a little polygon weird metal dude and then as you break stuff in the environment and gather more detritus he i don't know is a magnet and it like magnets around him and he gets bigger and bigger i think that it was originally created as a way to show off the power of the ps3 because hey look at all these triangles we're rendering look at all these little particles isn't this so awesome so I think that's probably where a lot of that came from. And other than that, it was a really weird game. Like, it seemed very colorful and cartoony in style, so you would think it's a kid's game, but it actually was really hard, and it was really long. It was way too long. It was, like, twice as long as it should have been. Story wandered all over the place, had some weird beats to it, and it just was really, really just not fun at all. I, I, I don't know anybody who thought the first Nag was a great game. I finished it out of spite, and I just I did not enjoy my time with it. So, no one was expecting Knack 2, but that... Act, in fact, it was a joke. It was a joke for many years. Whenever Sony would make a big announcement, like, the punchline would be, Oh, yeah, but it's Knack 2. Ha, 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 lol. <laughs> and uh, th it wasn't a joke this time. It was actually true. I think a lot of people, including myself, kind of did a double take when they announced it for realsies. And I'm like, why? Why would you, why would you make a sequel to that? It sucked the first time. Uh, so, based on the demo... Seems to be exactly the same thing again. You're also, you're controlling the metallic triangle polygon dude named Knack. He still gets bigger when you break up things in the environment, when he magnets those things to his body. Runs around, he punches, kicks, uh, jumps. It's like, I mean, pretty basic platformy, very light uh, combat. Little cartoon dudes run up, he punches them, move on. Uh, that's really like all there is to it. I mean, I'm sure the main game is much bigger. I'm sure there's more to it than that. But in the demo, it was a very, very short demo. It was only like six or seven minutes long. You are introduced to like his basic combat. You're introduced to Knack growing bigger and smaller by ejecting or collecting this, this little spare parts in the environment. Uh, you 
I don't know, punch a couple kung fu dudes. You learn to channel your chi or something, and then basically the demo's over. It was very short. Just gave you just a taste of what it would feel like to control that game. Uh, overall, it seemed exactly like I was playing Knack number one. Felt like the game was literally the same game. It looked the same, handled the same. The design was the same. Uh, from what I hear, it's easier, and there are some adjustments to it. But overall, it looks like the same thing again, and I'm a little bit confused as to why that it even exists. So, uh, Corey, what was your impression of Knack, and did you play the first one? Uh, I did not play the first one, but I have been, while you were doing your opening monologue, I have been hard at work researching the first Knack to see if your uh, thoughts were true about it. It was actually a PlayStation 4 launch title in 2000. 13 it god damn like. was it really playstation 4 man crazy because i would have sworn it was ps3 and that's how good of a game it was yeah it uh allegedly i'm doing some very uh detailed wikipedia research um and allegedly it was developed as sort of like uh like oh we can make like the playstation 4 is like crash bandicoot that's kind of what they were going for and yeah um, totally totally and it was, it has a, the first one has a 54 on Metacritic. So yeah, obviously not a very good, uh, very good Metacritic score. Um, I, I, I didn't really even know what Knack was. I mean, looking at it, like, I know that it's been kind of like a joke in the industry. Like whenever people, whenever Knack 2 was, when they said it was coming, everybody was like, whoa, what? like what, what, how, like, how is this getting a sequel? Um, so that just made me think, like, wow, the first knack must have been terrible then. And according to the reviews, it looks like it was pretty below average. But, um, I mean, looking at the style of this game, it looks like a... It, it looks to me like Skylanders without Skylanders. Like, it looks like a kid's game that should have some kind of toys-to-life, um, like, hook to it. Because the character that you're playing as Knack, he kind of looks like a lego creation like he has like a core but he's got like little like blocks like building blocks kind of surrounding his torso um and like like you said whenever you press the button to make him smaller like he like sheds the blocks and then he's just like his core self that's like six inches high and then when you press the button again like the blocks like come back to him and he's like six feet tall and big um so it, it just looks like it looks a little bit like it's something that it's not and it looks like it could be a lot more than it is um but as far as the demo goes, I mean, you're right. It's only, like, maybe 10 minutes long at most. And, I mean, it's basically just, like, some little bit of beat-em-up action, a little bit of platforming. Um, one, one thing that I did like about the demo is, uh, or one thing that surprised me, to be honest, as soon as I started it up, is that, like, I have a PlayStation 4 Pro and I have a 4K TV, so I've got, like, the highest, you know, thing I can have for, like, console gaming right now. And... NAC 2 has um, HDR settings for a 4K TV, which I thought was kind of bananas because usually, like, HDR settings are for, like, Horizon and, you know, the games that, like, really push the graphical power of the PlayStation. So I was like, wow, NAC 2 has HDR 4K settings. Um, but, I mean, the game still just... I mean, it looks fine. It's not like it's a graphical powerhouse, but it doesn't look like garbage either. It's just kind of like it looks like a current-gen game. Um but something that I liked about it is that, from what I could tell from the demo, Nax's owner, or his, like, commander, or his, like, I don't know what she is, um, she's, like, a black woman. And I was like, wow, like, this is seems progressive. Like, you have, like, you're playing as this, like, 
fighting toy dude and like one of the first people she's like the first person you see in the game is like this like black woman in the stands like cheering on her fighter um kind of like in like a real steel kind of way and i was like hey this is cool like i'm all for you know minority characters and you know, uh, that kind of representation in video games. So I was kind of impressed in that regard. And it seemed like her, her voice actress, I didn't look her up, but she sounded really familiar to me. Almost sounded like the boss in Metal Gear Solid 3, um, in fact. But I haven't looked it up to see if that's the case or not. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it just seems like a pretty, like, fluid hack and slashy beat em up with some platforming elements. I mean, I, I, it plays well, but it's not really... I, I'm not really the target audience for this game, and it's not something that I could ever see myself purchasing and playing, but um, I don't really feel like there's anything super wrong with it, but I also, you know, only played, like, a 10-minute demo, so it's not like I got a big, you know, slice of what the whole game is. Well, see, that's the interesting thing about it, because I think you're right, and, I mean, it's certainly competent. I mean, I'm assuming that it's going to play better than the first one did, although there's really kind of no excuse as to why the first one was so rough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like you look at it and it looks fine, but like, that's all it does. Like, it doesn't really grab you. I mean, at least for me, it's not something where I'm like, oh, I really want to play that so bad. And I mean, I guess it, you know, I'm sure it probably has more kid appeal. I mean, my son saw the demo and he was interested to play it. Uh, but then again, he plays a lot of what I play. So that's not really the best barometer. I mean, it just looks just kind of mediocre and the character design doesn't feel very sharp and, the action seems pretty straightforward. I mean, I guess if you're just looking for, I mean, hopefully it's going to be approachable enough that kids can play it because it seems like they're going to be the ones who are most drawn to it, but just nothing really notable about it. And it's weird because I mean, I expect something of a pretty high caliber from Mark Cerny and he just doesn't seem able to deliver it when he's the one in charge. Maybe he's better as, uh, as someone who analyzes and fixes rather than creates. I mean, I don't know. I don't know him personally or anything like that, just based on his body of work. So, yeah, I don't know. It just it looked fine. I mean, it, it's like one of those games that like I probably would rent from GameFly. If I got it on a Friday, I would play it. I would beat it by Sunday night. I would send it back, and I would forget that I ever played it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I mean, it just seems like is this something that you think you're? Uh, forgive me if you just mentioned this. I've been doing more knack research while you're talking. Um, is this something that your son would be interested in, or that he would want to play or want to play with you? Oh, yeah, for sure. He would totally... I mean, he wanted to play the demo. Let him have a shot at the demo. He would totally play this, for sure. Like, he would be into this. I would I would get this from Gamefly for him. I believe that there's co-op, so we could probably play it together. That would be fine. Uh, I mean, as, as long as it's easier than the first one, because the first one was not something that I would give to my son because it was way too hard. So if they fix the difficulty and it's approachable to kids, I would say, sure, I will get this for my son or just rent it or whatever and, and play through it on a weekend or something. But, yeah, I just it's just seems really kind of i don't know dull you know, just just unimpressive i guess i don't know yeah i mean it's kind of I, it feels kind of shitty to be down on a game like this but it's just like i mean this game is not really in either of our wheelhouse it seems competent enough but not really maybe lacking that like sparkle that would pull two grown men into playing it i guess yeah, I think if the character was stronger, like, I, I mean, Knack himself, like you said, he kind of looks like a Lego character surrounded by a bunch of Legos that make him bigger when they stick to him. It, it's just something about him just doesn't seem that appealing. Like, I kind of wish he looked cooler or he had, I don't know, just he just seems really bland as a character. And for a character action game like this is trying to be, 
you really have to have a character who's on point with a really strong design, very memorable. You need like a Mario or a Sonic, and I realize that not every character can be as iconic as those. You know, a lot of people try, and many do not succeed. So it's <laughs> it's it's definitely catching lightning in a bottle when you get a character that people love and recognize. But I just feel like he's so bland and just so like like he totally seems like he's straight out of the '90s, like right alongside like Arrow the Acrobat or. Uh, Bubsy the Bobcat or something, you know, like Knack the Lego Man. He just seems kind of, <laughs> blah. I just, I just wish he looked cooler, you know. Anyway, anyway, let's not bag on this game anymore. I'm sure it's totally fine. In fact, I'm sure I'll probably even play it. You know, I'm sure my son will talk me into playing this. I will, I will have a full report on this later on when I've finished it <laughs> and done New Game Plus with my son. We will talk about it at some point in the future. Let's move on, Corey. Let's move on to the future. Let's move on. To Destiny. Destiny 2, specifically, released by Bungie, published by Activision, released September 6th for PS4 and Xbox One, PC version, coming October 24th. I don't give a flying fuck (laughs) about this game, but you have been playing it. You have been playing it for at least four hours. Uh, Patrick, (laughs) your partner has been playing it for like at least 40 hours, I'm sure. Uh, So you know more about Destiny 2 than I do. I would love to hear about it. Or actually, I don't really give a shit. But since people are listening to the show, let's talk about it anyway. All right, let's talk about it. I I kind of wish... Okay, I kind of wish you gave a little bit of a shit about this game because then we could at least play it together. But it is what it is. Um, But, I mean, honestly, to be, you know, totally upfront, I actually didn't really care about this game at all. Like, the nice thing about having a partner that also plays games is sometimes that person buys games and sometimes you're not that interested in them, but Hey, there's a new free game for you to play that I didn't have to pay for. So sure. I'll try it out. Um, basically that's what happened with, uh, with Patrick because for a little bit of background on destiny, um, I, although I was not that interested in the first destiny, um, I actually bought the white PlayStation Four, the destiny edition. That's the first PlayStation four I ever owned. They went on sale at target I didn't have a PlayStation 4, and I thought, hey, what better opportunity to buy a PlayStation 4 than to get a cool white one with Destiny packed in? And Patrick was interested in Destiny, so it was just like a good a good situation. So I'm the guy who has the white PlayStation with, you know, the copy of Destiny that came with it. And Patrick played Destiny a little bit, the first one. He liked it a little bit more than I did. I played it for maybe like <clears throat> maybe like one to two hours. I had a very, like no man's sky reaction to it where i was like you know i didn't really want this game but i'll try it out uh it's not really hooking me it's just basically all there is to it is like circle strafing enemies and shooting at them and i'm not really into it so i put it down and that was basically it so leading up to destiny 2 patrick was like hey i'm thinking about buying destiny 2 because i you know my friends from omaha are going to be playing it and i kind of want to play it with them but I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with them, so I can't really decide. I don't know. I don't know. And he ended up pre-ordering it like two days before it came out on the PlayStation 4. So the so I played it the day it came out because um, we had it on the PS4. And um, I don't really know a whole lot about like the end game of the first Destiny or like anything about the story or the lore because I only played it for like a couple of hours. But the setup of Destiny 2 is... You play as a Guardian. There's three races. I can't remember what they're called, but one's like a human. One's like a pink looking dude and one's like a robot race and you can create your character you can make a man or woman there's like 10 different faces to pick from the character creation's a little bit uh stale it's a little bit not good um it's not like saints row level of customization but it's i mean it's fine enough um 
And basically, you are a guardian, you are on some planet, and you have, like, light, quote-unquote, which is, like, the essence that gives you your magical abilities. Um, at the beginning of Destiny 2, some new big bad enemy comes to the planet with his spaceships and kicks takes the light and kicks everybody off the planet or some stupid bullshit and you like wake up in a forest with like your light gone and you're weak and damaged and you have to like fight for your life through this kind of forest area and you end up getting to a group of uh like people who are guardians people who support guardians into this like little farmhouse area and that's kind of the point where you start taking missions. You get your light back on, like, the second mission, and then you basically go about the game from there. Um, do you have any input before I go on, Brad? No, no. I'm all I'm with you uh, so far. Um, I have limited experience with Destiny that I will mention in a second. But go on. Keep going. Okay, okay. So... Uh, so, okay, one thing about Destiny that... I, I have to admit, I actually like Destiny 2. I don't think it's, like... Because, I mean, there's so much hype for this game on Twitter right now. Everybody's like, oh, this is the best. The controls are so good. And this is the best controlling shooter I've ever played. Oh, my God. And, I mean, honestly, it feels exactly like Destiny 1. And that's not to say Destiny 1 is mechanically bad. Because I think that, I mean, this is Bungie we're talking about here. They made Halo. Um, you know, if that's your kind of shooter, then this is more of it. But, I mean, if you sat me down with the PlayStation 4 and put, and did like a like a taste test of like Destiny or Destiny Two. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them like mechanically. So it's interesting to me that everybody's like singing the high praises of the mechanics of the shooting in this game because to me it feels exactly like Destiny One. But whenever I was playing Destiny One, I was more in line with like tactical shooters because I'm kind of like a Rainbow Six Vegas Deus Ex kind of guy where I'm not really like a run and gunner. Um, but I've been playing a few more arcade shooters lately, and to be perfectly honest, Destiny 2 plays very similarly to Titanfall 2, and Titanfall 2 was, like, the action-adventure shooter underdog last year that, like, sold, like, shit, but everybody loved, and it feels so much, like, in look and in feel and mechanically, like, Titanfall 2 to me, which is really good, and the other thing that is helping me get into Destiny 2 is that... It actually reminds me a lot of The Division because I know when, um, you know, Destiny came first and The Division and there was kind of a joke like, oh, well, The Division is just like or is just like Tom Clancy's Destiny. And it's pretty true. I mean, they have, despite the fact that Destiny is like this futuristic first person shooter and like faraway planets and everything. And The Division is like this gritty, like third person New York City, um, you know, like contagion game. They do play very similarly. They're like slightly MMOE. They have like common um like common arenas where you can run around with ca real characters that are around you from all over the earth um there are sections where you can like team up with other real characters very quickly and not have to go into like a big lobby or do like a matchmaking there's just like a little challenge that pops up and you kind of team up for five minutes and then the challenge is over the mission structure is very similar you kind of keep going to people you take a mission and the mission areas exist within the world of the game but it's kind of like a dungeon that you go into and then you come back out into the common area and i think playing the division because i had never really played a game like that before i played the division and having played the division to death with you and your wife and you know despite division's shortcomings i had a really good time playing it with you guys um it has allowed me to get into Destiny 2 on a level that I might not have otherwise because I'm used to very uh, 
you know, a first-person shooter that it's just you playing it. You know, it's not this weird mission structure. It's not this weird lobby area where you're running around with other characters. And it's not this open world with, like, little dungeons that you can access. I mean, Deus Ex is maybe the closest thing I've gotten to that. But even that doesn't feel like Destiny. But, um, I, I mean, I like Destiny, too. I don't think it's going to be on, like, my top ten list at the end of the year, probably. But... I mean, I'm maybe four, five hours in. Um, I'm only like level seven or eight. I'm still pretty shy to it. But I mean, mechanically, it feels really good. Um, the loot drops are, and like the amount of time you pick up like weapons and armor and stuff, it happens more frequently than like in the division, for example. And you pretty much everything you pick up in Destiny is better than the last thing you had. And that was a problem we always had with the division where like, you could do a mission, get like one gun at the end of it and end up being worse than a gun you had before. So it was kind of a bust. Um, but I like it. The level design's really fun. It's mechanically fun to jump around and to shoot. Uh, the vehicles are fun. Um, I've been playing by myself so far. I don't have friends, so I've been playing by myself because uh, I am a loser. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if a game like this, I, if I think it's fun playing single player, I mean, it's not like the best shooter I've ever played or anything, but I mean, it's fun enough. The level design is fun. It's colorful. It's interesting. There's a good sense of scale in several of the levels where like you're, you know, in one area and there's like giant ass spaceships around you. And it does a really good job of making you feel as small as you actually are in the game. And it's colorful and it's fun. It's not this gritty, you know, gray and brown shooter like, you know, we've been around for the past 10 years or so. Um, I mean, it's good. It's like a seven out of 10 right now. I mean, I don't really know what else I can say. Right on, right on. Uh, as for, you know what you sound like? You sound like kind of like me when I played the first Destiny. <laughs> um, I did play the first Destiny. I played it. I completed the campaign, uh, did most of it solo, but I did play a good amount with my wife. And also I played with Sparky Clarkson, who is a writer at Game Critics. Uh, Sparky is one of our best writers, but he's real busy and he has a lot going on. So we end up not talking about him very much, but he's a great guy, has been with the site for many years. Uh, love Sparky. Um, so that was like the one and only time I had ever played co-op with Sparky. That was a good experience. Fun, fun times. Uh, but I completed the campaign, and after I completed the campaign, I was just done with it. Like, I just was not interested in playing the same missions over and over just to get better loot. And I played it right at launch, and so it, this was before, like, it, you know, quote-unquote got better. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think I put maybe 20, 30 hours into it, and I was just, like, done. Like, I just didn't, <laughs> was not interested in better guns, was not interested in just leveling up. I was not interested in doing PvP. And it was also irritating to me that, like, people kept saying, like, the raids were, like, the best part of the game, but I could not ever do those because I have a fucking life. I have a job. <laughs> I've got a wife. I've got a family. You need, you know, people were saying, oh, you need, like, I don't know how many friends it was, like, a group of six people or something like that. And, you know, you need, like, a couple of hours dedicated to this thing and just to get through it. And I'm like, that sounds interesting on some level. I mean, everybody said the level design was the best in the raids and that was the best part of the game. But, like, that was basically something i was never going to do so it really soured me to know that the the most fun part of destiny was something that was just inaccessible to me um yeah and i uh i just never came back to it after that i just i saw what it was i mean it's fine i'm not a big bungee fan in general i don't do a lot of first person shooters i just wanted to give this a go to see what it was about and i i got it i got a pretty good grasp of it and i thought it was fine it was just not my thing and especially not something where i just i just didn't want to play it over and over and over and it's one of those 
endless games that seem to be popping up all over the place where the developers just want you to like sign up for life with their game and just stay forever. And that's just not who I am, you know, like I may be totally monogamous when it comes to relationships, but when it comes to games, I am like a one done wham, bam. Thank you, developer. Uh, I just don't want to, I just don't want to sign up with anybody forever when it comes to games. I just don't. So I don't like to play online with a lot of people. And I, it seems to me like half the fun of this game is getting together with your bros or whatever. And I just, I don't have bros online that I like to play with. I know that's not how I play. I'm more family or, oriented and, and partner oriented rather than like, you know, online buddy oriented. So sometimes in certain games, games, it clicks. I mean, it really clicked with us with um, the division, but again, it was like, we finished the campaign in the division and then once we were done, it petered out pretty quickly after that. Like, we were not the grindy kind of people where we just came back for better guns. Um, I mean, I'm sure that would be the same. I'm sure I would enjoy Destiny's campaign. I'm sure I would finish it. And then as soon as I was done, I would, like, send it back to Gamefly and just be done with it. And I probably wouldn't touch it again ever. Because I just, I just, I'm not cut that way. I don't like to play that way. It's not something that keeps my interest. Um, I will say, though... Um, despite Bungie's mechanical prowess, I mean, I think very few people would dispute that these guys are probably at the top when it comes to how guns handle, how shooting feels, how the combat feels. I mean, I, I agree with that. It handles very well. It feels good, or at least the first Destiny did. Uh, but they are terrible in other ways. Like, I don't think they're a very well-rounded developer. Their storytelling fucking sucks. It's always <laughs> sucked. Their characters sucked. Like, they're terrible. And I was hearing people talk about Destiny 2, and it just, it made me roll my eyes so fucking hard to hear people talk about, oh my god, the opening is so emotional, I, I got I got emotional, don't spoil it, just go into it and just play it, and oh my god, I got to this XYZ level, and I, I fucking cried, like it was so good, and I'm like, I don't believe you at all. I, I know Bungie's history, I've played almost all their games, their writing is fucking terrible, it's always been terrible. <laughs> Even when they had all the money in the world to launch Destiny the first time, they fucked that up six ways from Sunday. I do not believe that this has any emotional stakes. So to hear people talk about it like that, I just was like, nah, I just I can't even believe that shit because you guys are not to be trusted. So, I, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll rent it at some point when I've got nothing else to play, which will never happen for Infinity. Um, but whatever. I mean, people are loving it. That's great. I don't begrudge them at all. Not my thing. Not really interested in getting into it. Probably won't play it for, I don't know, if it drops like 20 bucks for the everything in one package deal at some point in the future, maybe I'll pop for it. But nah, not going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is a perfect example. It's almost like Danganronpa. It's like if you weren't on board for the first one, there's not really anything about the second one that's going to change your mind and be like, oh, well, now you have to get on board. And um, I mean, I pretty much agree with you about the story thing. I, I think that um, as far as like Halo goes, because pretty much all Bungie has done is Halo and Destiny. And they did that walking corpse game. I can't remember what it's called, but they did that too. Um, but, Wait, uh, what? What walking corpse game? What? The one where you play as like the zombie and you like throw your head at people. It was like a silly cartoony game. Do you remember that? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Are you? Uh, yeah. There was, was one. There was one guy that broke away from Bungie, but that wasn't a Bungie game. It was like on the Xbox, right? It was. Um, are you talking about the one where the zombie guy like creates a horde of zombies? Is that the one you're talking about? I don't think so. Huh, I have no recollection of what you're talking about. I'm going to look this up. Keep talking. I'm going to look it up. 
All right. It's called Stubbs the Zombie. Yeah, okay. That's the one I was thinking of. That was by, like, one one guy, I think, from Bungie. I don't know. Was that an actual Bungie-branded game? Oh, no, it wasn't. I'm wrong. Damn it. Yeah, it was, it was one of the guys from Bungie, but it wasn't, like, a Bungie game. Okay, then, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> they made... They've done Halo and they've done Destiny. Um, but I think that Halo ODST, they, the most interesting thing about the Halo series to me is that the best Halo games are the ones that don't have Master Chief in them. Like Halo ODST and Halo Reach are the best Halo games. And they, I mean, their stories aren't like fantastic, but there's definitely a more human element to the stories. Like I love Halo ODST because it's basically like a lone wolf investigation story where you're you know, running around this open world city at night uh, and this kind of creepy uh, environment being hunted by, uh, by like, the other aliens and stuff and trying to figure out what happened to your squad after you got separated from them. And I really like that brand of storytelling. And, like, Halo Reach, there's something... I mean, you you know going into Halo Reach, like, the publicized thing about the story was, like, every like nobody in this game is going to survive like everybody's going to die the planet you're on is going to get glassed and that that made for a very interesting story element for me kind of like playing through this like sad shooter of like watching your entire squad get killed off but even even in those regards i mean the storytelling wasn't you know like above and beyond stuff i've played before but I mean, for anybody, I mean, I'm only, like, a few hours into Destiny 2, but, I mean, so far, it's just, like, another, like, oh, here's a ugly bad guy. He takes over your planet. Now you have to fight to get your planet back story. Like, there's not really anything interesting about it that I can tell. It's just, like, another excuse for you to, like, shoot things and aliens. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected. The first, the first uh, Destiny story was ridiculous garbage. Uh, I'm not expecting anything else from this. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely a guy who values story quite a bit. So for them to take the approach that they took, just I mean, that's that's one thing. That's one thing you could do. That's one way to go with that. Uh, that is not the way that I like my stories <laughs> to go. So that was really tough for me to get into. Not a fan of the first one, really. I mean, it wasn't bad it was just not my thing and nothing really would want to get me into it now so i'm gonna give it a pass for a while um do you think you're gonna be spending a lot of time on it? are you and patrick gonna be playing together or are you gonna you gonna put some more hours into it uh i will definitely play it more i mean so far it's been fun enough for me to want to play even if i'm playing by myself like i'm at a point where i can kind of forgive it's sort of like mmoe elements because i've i've been more in tune with that from the division and the mechanics of it like i said they feel so similar to like Titanfall 2 that it's just like a lot of fun to play. Um, I'll definitely be playing it more, but Patrick's been playing it a lot. Like uh, like every day when he gets home from work, like puts on his headset and plays with, he's got uh, some gamer friends that he plays games with from Omaha from when we used to live there. Um, he's playing it like every day for hours at a time with, uh, with some friends from Omaha. So he and I aren't playing together, which is fine. We don't have two copies of it, so we can't play it together, but... I mean, they're at the point now where they're so far up in levels that I wouldn't be able to play with them anyway. But even if I don't play with anybody, uh, I'm probably going to play this whole game because I think it's good enough for that. It's not, you know, like I said, it's not amazing, but it's definitely good enough for me to finish. I hear that. I hear that. And like I said, I finished the first campaign, too, and then nothing held me after that. So I could I could easily imagine you finishing that. And I'm sure it's not too long. I was seeing people who had completed the campaign on the fucking first day, so I'm not. <laughs> 
Uh, it's and from what I can tell, it's not that long. So anyway, we will check back in on Destiny Two at some point in the future, probably next episode, because you will undoubtedly have finished the campaign by then. <laughs> uh, but let's move on. A couple of uh, quick things here from me. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is called Tooth and Tail. This is developed and published by Pocket Watch Games. It will be releasing on September 12th on PS4 and PC. I currently have a review code and it is under embargo, but I got permission from the developer to talk about it in a preview sense, as we like to do. So everything I'm about to say (laughs) is strictly, strictly in a preview sense. Although by the time that you listen to this episode, it will only be like one day before embargo. So not really a big deal in the big scheme of things. Uh, But I am a man of my word. So everything I say tonight will be strictly preview. Um, I saw this at PAX recently, and I was really impressed by it, and I was very interested to check it out. It is not exactly a real-time strategy game, although it kind of is. Do you have much familiarity with RTS games, Corey? Uh, not really. I don't... Actually, I don't think I've ever actually played an RTS, and I think it's because I know that I... I just already know that I would not like them. All right, that's kind of where I land on it, too. I am not an RTS guy. I, I mean, as a little background, my family did not own a PC until I was almost moved out of the house. So, you know, I'm older, so PCs were not that common. It was, it was not unusual for people to not have a computer at that time that I was growing up. Um, I mean, by the time I got older, it was becoming more common. But, I mean, if you went over to somebody's house and they had no PC, you didn't even blink twice at it. It was not a big deal. So I was not exposed to it, uh, that genre growing up. I'm not much of a mouse and keyboard gamer to begin with, and a lot of RTS games are mouse and keyboard games, and I just don't like playing that way. Uh, I've, I've dipped into a couple of them, and I just don't like them. I just don't like how you have to micromanage a bunch of things. There's usually a lot of different keys you got to remember. There's always like two or three things going on at the same time, and I don't like jumping back and forth and juggling what's going on. It's really stressful to me, and I don't, enjoy that i mean i just i'm just not cut out for it i don't like that kind of gameplay but i've always been fascinated because anytime there's a genre that i don't play i still watch it with with some exception like i don't give a shit about sports games usually although every once in a while there'll be one that i play and i don't give a shit about driving games but every again every once in a while there'll be like an unusual one that i like to play there has to be some hook to it and i don't usually pay attention to rts games but this one seemed different enough that it was worth a look so Basically, you play as uh, you're like an you're like a, an animal army. Uh, you have one main character. That's the character that you directly control. He's kind of like a, a standard bearer. He has a flag or she, whatever. Uh, and you wave it around, and you guide all your other troops around. So you start each level roughly with a farm. The farm produces food. When you have enough food, you can make a burrow and the burrow creates soldiers and each soldier costs a certain amount of food. So like basically you have to get a farm, get the farm, making food, make enough food to be able to get this burrow going. When you get the burrow going, you got to keep making even more food to be able to pay for the soldiers. And then the soldiers who are other animals will go with you and fight and you don't control them directly. Like you, you can either guide them by you yourself walking and like waving the flag where you want them to go. And then they will go there or you can, you can take like your whole army or part of the army, like, you know, certain troops and not the other ones or the whole thing at once. And you just kind of like guide them around. In most levels, it's about 
getting rid of the enemy's farm, but there are different objectives. So I really like the look of this game. First of all, let me start with the positives. I really like the way this game looks. It's got like this kind of like uh, pixel art style, but it's not too simple. I think there's a good deal of complexity to it. I think it's very attractive looking, like seeing the little mice run around. They're anthropomorphized mice and uh, they wear like little glasses and jackets and hats and stuff. It's pretty <laughs> cute. There's a whole bunch of different animals out of your troops. There's like frogs and ferrets and owls and you have a whole, you know, menagerie's worth of, of animal troops and they all have like guns of some sort or something like that. So I really like the look of the game. The music is also awesome. It's done by, I'm pretty sure Austin Wintry, who has done a number of other games. He's pretty well known in game circles. Soundtrack is awesome. The graphics are awesome. I love the way that it is streamlined uh, because as I mentioned, a lot of RTS games use mouse and keyboard. There's a whole ton of hotkeys. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. But this is super simplified. I don't know that they made it specifically for PS4, but it feels like it was specifically made for PS4. So that's a that's a, a little bit of praise. Um, with only controlling one main character and kind of guiding everybody else around, it kind of frees you up to not have to worry about too many buttons to push or too many things to take care of. It's really just about, hey, I'm over here, follow me over here, or hey, I'm over here, only some of you follow me over here. So it's pretty easy, pretty approachable. And the, the formula is pretty streamlined. You're usually, like I said, usually just going for the enemy's farm. Sometimes there's some defenses or something like that. There are some other uh, levels that they'll give you, like some trick levels or some special challenge levels or something. But in general, uh, pretty easy to grasp. So I like that a lot. And I, I, I dig this because it is something that is approachable enough for me, who generally doesn't play RTS games and generally doesn't like them, to get into, to be interested about, to check it out. So it's really going in the right direction for me. I, at this point that I'm speaking now, I am about halfway through the campaign. And I'm having a rough spot because I'm not too familiar with RTS games, which means I don't have a lot of background knowledge. So I'm not sure how much of this game's formula would be very common sense and old hat to RTS veterans and how much of this game is just not explained well. Because the thing that I'm really bumping into is that when I get to some of the harder levels, I don't feel like the game is teaching me what I need to know. And so I'm learning by failing over and over and over and over again in the best case scenario. But usually I'm just failing and I'm not sure what I should do better or what I'm doing wrong or what I can do to improve myself. Uh, the game does give you a little bit of guidance. You can push a button to get some tips, but it's really just high level stuff, you know, just really like a really basic strategy. Kill the enemy before they kill you or go after the enemy's farm as quick as possible. Like they tell you a general tip like that, which is most times pretty common sense, but they don't really explain the nuances of each different unit. Like usually you have three or four or five different kinds of troops and it's like, well, okay, I have uh, this chameleon and I have a lizard and I have a mouse and I have a fox, and I, you know, when you get the whole mass of an army together, everybody together, it doesn't matter, everybody's just shooting everybody, and it's fine, but, like, you can pick some of them out, and I'm like, well, why would I pick some of them out? What, what are their strengths? I mean, some of them are more obvious than others. Some of them, I don't really know exactly what their specialty is, and I'm not sure what I'm expected to do, and so I end up dying over and over and over and over, and not feeling like I'm really getting better at the game, which is a little bit frustrating. I wish there was more information and also one other key thing to note is that these maps are randomly generated so it's also a case of oh i got a really bad map 
but do I know that? Can I tell it's a bad map or can I not tell? Sometimes it's hard to tell. Am I just playing poorly or is this a really tough map that's really got me at a disadvantage? Should I just restart and get a better map? I don't know sometimes. So I don't know how much of this game is relying on knowledge that they think RTS veterans would have because I don't feel like there's enough information for RTS newcomers like me. I feel like I need a lot more information. I would like a slower ramp up because I think it gets hard pretty quickly and I would like just more general information. Now I was talking to the, uh, the developers and they sent me a link to a let's play that they are going to publish for this game when it comes out, which is good. I mean, I think that's great that they're supporting their game, but at the same time, I kind of feel like you shouldn't need a let's play. Like I am, I am of the opinion and let me get your opinion on this, Corey. I am of the opinion that when you play a game, everything you need to know should be in that game and the average game player should be able to finish a game without going online for extra resources or to look up an FAQ or a Let's Play. Like, everything should be in that package. Like, if I get a game in a store and I bring it home or I download a game, I should theoretically be able to play that game from start to finish without any outside help. Do you think that's a fair statement or not? Yeah, I think for, like, probably, like, 95% of games or game scenarios, that is the case. Because you shouldn't... Yeah, you shouldn't have to go on the internet or buy a strategy guide or ask 10 of your friends who have already played the game, like, oh, explain this to me, or what should I do, or something like that. Um, I think there's very rare scenarios in which that case is maybe acceptable, like maybe if you get like stuck on a puzzle in a game or something like that. But I'm very much in agreement with you. I think when you have a game, like if you're... Like if you like you go to the publisher, or the developer, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm having a tough time." And they're like, "Oh, well, watch this video that we didn't give any other reviewer except for you that we're going to publish in three days." Like that doesn't seem like a very good strategy. It makes me wonder how other reviewers are taking to this game. Well, we shall see. The reviews will drop pretty soon, and I—I I mean, I don't. It's tough for a game like this because, like I said, I fully admit that I am a genre newbie when it comes to RTS games. So some of this stuff may be very common, very well known to people who play a lot of these games. But for me, who was just attracted by the, the art style and the concept, um, I feel like I need a lot more information. Now, the, I looked at one of these Let's Plays um, for the level that I'm currently stuck on, and it's a bear of a level. It's really irritating. I'm not having a good time. Really, really frustrated because I've tried it like probably a dozen times and not gotten any further any of those times. I don't feel like I'm getting better at it or learning any lessons. So I went to the Let's Play that the developer sent me, and I was blown away by like how much I didn't know about the game. I mean, whether that's me being dense, it's certainly not in the game or not presented in a way where I felt like it was easily absorbable. Like, like I watched him play, and he's like, oh, okay, we'll take your owl over here, and the owls guys are really good at getting rid of the barbed wire. And I'm like, oh, they are? Well, I didn't know that. Like... Uh, you know, like, oh, and then you take your guy back here and, and then leave these guys right here and then take these guys over here and then get ready to come back. And I'm like, well, dude, like, how's I supposed to know any of this? Like, is it just me not being familiar with RTS games or is this you not explaining your systems? Like, I don't know. And I mean, to take it at face value, I feel like there should be a lot more missions where like the point of the mission is to like introduce the troop types because there's very often levels where... You get a brand new troop type. You've never had that troop type before. You don't know, really know what it does. You read the description. It gives you a very basic description, but you don't know very much about it. Like, you don't know the best case scenario to use it. You don't know what their weaknesses are. And they just, just go. 
And I don't like learning by like failing a fucking mission like 15 times. Like it's not fun. And I don't, you know, it's difficult to figure out what they want me to learn from this. Like, you know, in addition to having these randomized maps. So maybe I am learning something, but the map is just not good. Or maybe I, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just there's a lot of factors in there. And I don't feel like the communication to me as the player who needs to learn this is very clear. So I was really blown away by how much information I got at the Let's Play. But at the same time, it kind of made me mad that like they weren't giving me that information in the game. Like I was like, oh, why is there not a level that's all about the owl? Because the owl seems awesome. I wish I had known what it did. I wish I knew what it was good for because I've just done this level 15 fucking times and now I don't want to play your game anymore. And maybe I would have if I had known what the fucking owl did. Like, you know, like it's that kind of a thing where I really wish it was a, a gentler difficulty slope and more education was going on. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm not a pro at the genre. So like, where is the line between how much I should know as someone playing this game for the first time and how much I should know as someone like reviewing this game? Like it's a difficult line to cross because I don't think you should have like in-depth intimate knowledge of every single game in a genre before you review something. I mean, I think there's many different ways to approach it. So I think that my take will be valid, but at the same time, I'm wondering are RTS people going to roll their eyes and go, oh, what a fucking noob. He didn't know XYZ about this game. Who does he think he is? Which, to be fair, happens anyway. But, you know, like, it's a real it's a real difficult line to, to draw for me. I mean, what do you think, Corey? I mean, I don't want to hyperbolize here, but I feel like you are single-handedly going to write the most valuable review for this game because that this often comes up in, like, the game journalism sphere where it's like, you know, I, I think it was whenever, um, like, the last, like, Gears of War game came out or something. I think, um, or maybe it was, like, Gears 3 or Gears 2. I don't know. I, I feel like at one point a Gears game came out. And if I remember correctly, Cliff Blazenski, who, like, invented and, like, directed most of the Gears games, he had said something along the lines of, like, like oh, well, I wouldn't want your, like, uh, you know, I would want someone who's familiar with the series to review this game or something like that. Or he said, like, I wouldn't want, like, your RTS staffer to review Gears. Um, and I remember that causing a very small stir of controversy because, like, I, I don't think you should have to have, like, you know, if you're, like, say, if you're handing out reviews to your staff people or if you're trying to get someone to review the games, like, sometimes it's invaluable for, say, if there's the guy that does the first-person shooter games to to review every single first-person shooter game ever that comes out. I think that, I mean, that's obviously a comfortable place to be, and you as a developer, you want to look as good as you can, so you want people that are as familiar with common game mechanics in your genre to you know be reviewing that game because otherwise they might fall into a trap like what's happening with you where it's like okay well we're putting out an rts game there's a lot of rts fans out there but there's a lot of people who have never played an rts so obviously we want to try to get every game site that's reviewing this to get like their you know big bad rts guy or girl on this and review it so that way they can know what's going on but at the same time i don't think that's necessarily like what the case should be like of course if you're playing it and you're saying like like in your case, you know, maybe there's a bunch of stuff I don't know about RTSs. Maybe this game, it seems like it's kind of holding my hand sometimes, but then it like lets go at a certain point and I'm suddenly kind of dead in the water and I don't really understand what's going on. I think there's a lot of value to expecting a game, especially in a genre that's not, you know, say as popular as like a first person shooter or like, you know, an action adventure game or something that they should be able to 
you know, ease you into the game and that it, they shouldn't have to put out an RTS game that's like, oh, well, we're making this RTS game that is only for RTS lovers. Um, so in a sense, I feel like you and maybe other people are, you know, grappling with this too as they're playing the game or writing their reviews or something that, uh, I mean, you could be writing a very valuable, almost like a QA testing review for this, uh, for this company that, you know, maybe they'll be able to go back and be like, okay, well, maybe we need to really think about what we're going to do for our next game or how we're going to like do patches for this game or something to kind of get, I don't know, to, uh, familiarize players who don't know that much about RTSs into them or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I've really been wrestling with over the last day or two. And I mean, the, the the thing for me was really watching that Let's Play because it was stunning to me how much the developer knew about this that I didn't know. And that gap was really kind of shocking to me. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I mean, the depth, I mean, OK, so I mean, he knew about it because it's his game, of course. But like, obviously, he must have been very familiar with other RTS games because he, this, the familiarity and the concepts that he was describing and kind of talking about in shorthand were not in the game. And so it just really highlighted to me, like, wow, like if I was approaching this as a newcomer and I mean, I have to I have to expect that for an RTS game like this, simplified as it is and launching on PS4, they're probably going to get a bunch of people like me who don't usually play RTS games. That's that they have to be thinking about that. Um, This is not launching on, you know, Steam Early Access. It's not going to be heading out to the hardcore mouse and keyboard crowd. This is I mean half of this game's audience is going to be PS4. So they must be anticipating that a lot of people who generally play console for focused games are going to be playing this game. And from that perspective, I think that they may be falling short. I think they may be assuming a little bit too much or, or being a little bit too familiar. I mean, one thing that I've talked about in the show before is that sometimes, and I find this often, most often with indie developers, they get so familiar with their game by spending so much time on it and working on it that when they finally come to release they assume too much that people will will understand what they're trying to communicate and they don't do enough to explain. I think the best developers really go out of their way to make sure that anybody who doesn't know about this game, who's walking in off the street cold, will be able to learn enough to play successfully and get into it. And a lot of indie developers fail at that, uh, that particular thing. They just get too wrapped up in it and, and take too much for granted. So I feel like maybe the developers are doing that a little bit here. Like, I don't mean to be so damning because I I really was enjoying the game. I like a lot of what it's doing. I love the style. I love the concept. I definitely love the art. Um, But that difficulty wall was pretty steep. And I feel like I'm at a stuck point right now. And I don't feel like it's fair for me to, like, ask the developers for help or to look at their, their specific Let's Play to get an idea about how to get past this because that really should be in the game. Like that should be something taught to me. That should be something that I have built a skill that I have honed on my own by playing this game successfully up until this point, And that really hasn't happened. So um, I'm going to chew on that a little bit more on my review. Uh, I'm going to put another hour or two into it. See if I can get past that level. Uh, we'll see. And that may actually be my stuck, my sticking point because that was a bear of a level. And it's ironic too, because in that let's play, one of the first things he says is he's like, Oh, I know a lot of people are going to say this is a toughie. And I'm like, okay, bro, you clearly know that. So why don't you make it not a toughie? Because this is, this is not a toughie. It's just, it's too hard. But anyway, you know what? do you know what I think you should do instead? What's that? I think you should 
record two minutes of you playing this game really badly and then release it on the internet so that everybody... Oh, fuck. Oh, God. No. 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 God. I can't believe you even said that. <laughs> Somewhere Dean Takahashi is crying. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. sorry I had to. I had to. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, never, never, never. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. And just to be clear, I think this is a good game. I just am struggling with it personally. I bet RTS people will eat it up. And I'm going to I'm gonna throw myself at it again. I think there's some good here. I'm not, I'm not damning this game by any means. I think there are just some challenges uh, for me personally. And I think also on the game's part. But let's move on. One more quick shout out. And then we're going to wrap this show. The other day I was, uh, I just randomly remembered a game. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like you just, you're just walking along sidewalk, having a sandwich in the bathroom, whatever. And you're like, oh, I want to play X, Y, Z. Like it's just out of the blue. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, not really. Every once in a while I'll be looking through like all pan, you know, how like the X or not the Xbox, the PlayStation has like your, the string of the latest games you played on it. I'll like go all the way over to like the all games tag on the end and look through my games and I'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot I bought that game like a year ago. Maybe I should play it sometime, but never just walking down the street. Oh, okay. So that's just me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do the thing where I do go to my PS4 library and just see like what I've bought, but I haven't downloaded or played. So that, that is a good refresher, uh, for the current gen. But yeah, the other day I was just like, just hanging out and I'm like, Oh wait, escape goat two. I never finished that. I want to go back to that and play that. It, just, it struck me randomly out of the blue. Like, I don't know what made me think of that, but have you ever played either of the escape goat games? I literally had not heard of them until you sent me your notes for the show. And I looked Oh man. Okay. So escape. I mean, just number one, let's, let's, let's just take a moment to appreciate the title escape goat. <laughs> That's a badass title. I love that title. It's so like evocative and so weird and interesting. And it's, oh, I love that title. It's gold. It is gold. Um, I first met the developer of this game. His name is Ian Stalker, and he goes on Twitter by Magical Time Bean. I first met him when he was doing some indie games on um, Xbox Live. I cannot remember the. F- he had a, he had a, like a big indie hit, and I forget what it's called, but it was like where he had different types of characters and like, oh, whatever. I'm not, I can't describe. Never mind. Never mind. Forget I said that. But he had an indie hit, and that's where I first met him. He put out a scapegoat after that. And I thought it was brilliant, brilliant stuff. You play, it's a 2D game where you play as a purple goat and you're in this like magical dungeon and you have to free the sheep that are prisoners there. And it was all kind of cryptic and um, a little bit of lore, just enough lore to kind of get you curious about what was going on. But it wasn't really a lore game. It was really about platforming and jumping. And the, the cool thing about Escape Goat was like, there's these little switches in all the levels. And when you push a button, the levels all change. So like it'll be the platforms be arranged one way you hit the switch and then the platforms like all move. There's like these little clockwork gears and the stones rotate and stuff and the levels all move around. So that was really cool. The other hook to it was that you play as the goat who is uh, trying to escape, but he has a friend who is a mouse. And so it's the goat and the mouse. They're kind of buddies as they go through these levels. You can let the mouse go and he'll like crawl through small spaces He can crawl up walls and on ceilings to like trigger switches that are far away or to, you know, whatever, distract enemies or something. And he's also got a little, a teeny tiny little magic hat. It's so cute. The mouse wears the hat (laughs) and 
you can get the mouse into small spaces and he'll get through and he'll emerge on the other side. And then because of this magic hat, you can switch places with him. So like if you need to get to a far away platform and your goat cannot get there, despite being able to double jump and dash, you, you, you know, for example, you would send the mouse on the ceiling. You would watch him slowly crawl across, you know, the ceiling, get to this platform you need to get to. You push the button to activate the magic hat and then you switch places with him. So then he can get you into places that you ordinarily wouldn't get to. Very clever. Clever as fuck. This is interesting. <laughs> interesting gameplay. Love it. It's really pure. It's really cool. It's really good stuff. So I finished Escape Goat. Loved it. That's on the 360. And then Escape Goat 2 came out. And I remember it coming out at a time when I was up to my fucking armpits in like review games. And I just was too busy. It was really, really poor timing. So somebody else covered it for us at Game Critics. And uh, I remember being really disappointed because I was a good friends with the developer. I wanted to cover it. I just didn't have time or the bandwidth to do it. And then, you know, stuff happens. New games come out every day. You get distracted. Life happens. Work happens. Whatever, whatever. And I think I played maybe five minutes of his game. I put it aside because of responsibilities and I just never came back to it. And then today or yesterday, I was like, oh, I never finished Escape Goat 2. I'm going to go download that right fucking now. So that's what I did. I, uh, I went, I think I was like getting dressed at the time when I put on my pants and I walked out to my living room and I started downloading the game, started playing it this morning. Man, that is a good ass game. I love Escape Goat. I love Escape Goat too. So good. It is so good. The goat's cute. The mouse is cute. The levels are very clever. They're like clockwork, really challenging. Some are more puzzle types. Some are more action reflex types. Some are mix. Really clever stuff. I mean, I just, this guy... Mr. Ian Stalker, Magical Time Bean. He really needed to... I'm disappointed, very disappointed. He did not get more success than he did. I mean, he had that one original hit, but then after that, it seemed like nobody was really paying attention to what he's doing, which is a shame because this guy's brilliant. His work is brilliant stuff. Um, You just said you've never heard of a scapegoat, which is a shame, but it also kind of goes to show why he's not successful. I don't know why people don't know about this stuff. But uh, what I've described, the mouse, the goat, the magical hat, the clockwork levels, is any of this sounding good to you? Is this sounding uh, interesting at all? It sounds very cute and very charming and very endearing, but I know how I am with these kind of games, and it sounds like it might be too puzzle-y for me. Like, I would get really impatient with it too quickly, perhaps. That is a very likely possibility. It starts out pretty gentle, but once you're introduced to the basic concepts, which he does a great job of, by the way, uh, it gets challenging, very challenging. You have to really think laterally sometimes. You have to really test the limits of what you can do. And a lot of it really depends on reflexes. Um, He was not shy about asking players to really perform well. I mean, it's not just about figuring out the puzzles, but also it's about sometimes split-second timing and being really on point with your with your uh, D-pad skills. So it's challenging on multiple levels. Maybe not for everybody, but I think it's brilliant stuff. I'm really glad I remembered it. I'm really glad that I bought it and (laughs) that I was able to just go and download it right away. I'm going to be chipping away at it uh, for the time being. But really good thing. Really, I I just love this game. And I'm sure that, like you, many other of our listeners have probably never heard of it. Definitely recommend both Escape Goat, which is on 360. It's probably on Steam, I would imagine. Uh, I don't think it's on current consoles. And I also definitely recommend Escape Goat 2, which is great. That's on PS4. I'm sure it's on PC. Oh, there's my notes. PC and PS4. Thank you very much, Corey. 
so there's definitely places to find it. I'm guessing it's probably pretty cheap. And if you want a very clever, a very at times challenging, and a very unique and flavorful puzzle platformer, I cannot recommend this one highly enough. It's really great stuff. Um, in fact, I, I reached out to the developer after I had remembered this game existed and I was like, oh man, where you been? What's going on? Haven't heard back. Haven't heard back. So I wonder, did he move on? Is he okay? I don't know where he's at or what's going on. So if anybody knows what's up with Ian Stalker or Magical (laughs) Time being on Twitter, please let me know because I'm like, gosh, I haven't heard from him in a long time now that I'm thinking about it. So I hope he's doing okay. He's a good guy. Uh, anyway, check out Escape Goat 2. I love this game. It is great, great stuff. Um, and according to the script, this brings us to the end of our show. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. That was a show. That was a show. Um, as usual, now that we're wrapping up, I would like to remind you, dear listeners, that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Send it to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter, the Twitters, as a collective show, at so Video Games, And you can also reach us individually. Corey, where may people find you on the Twitters? People can find me at, it's my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. All right, and I am also on the Twitters, and it's also my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, not a single O in my name. And that is the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment, and hopefully we will be right on time. Uh, But for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.